0: Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to The Vin and Ali Show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we wanna share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vinanali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Vinanali show. In this episode, we are going to be reviewing and talking about the book Think Again by Adam Grant. And Ali, we're going to be doing something a a little bit different this time. We're going to start to give our listeners a bit of a summary of the things we're going to talk about. Hey, we're doing it. We're doing, we're thinking again about how we're doing our podcasts.
1: Just look at us changing it up, innovating as we kick off 2023.
0: Hey, <laughs> we're applying the lessons we're learning from the books we're reading immediately. I mean, I think Adam would be bloody proud of us. Uh, uh,
1: he, the fact that I learned that I needed to turn before. my volume up is a pretty good one, too. <laughs>
0: that, that only took three years. <laughs> For the entire 30 plus episodes, Ali's had his volume slightly lower than mine. and i am Is that just because you just don't feel as confident around me? <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think it is funny to note that when we first met, you would make us sit in the middle of a restaurant and you would start talking as loud as you could. And I'd be whispering because I'm pretty self-conscious of everyone around us. And you'd be like, huh? What are you saying, Ali? I can't hear you. And, And now I realize that was your Jedi mind trick to get me to express myself a little bit more.
0: Well, I feel we need to give a little bit of context for this. And it's simply because Ali used to speak really quietly when we we're out in public. And he would speak really loud normally when we we're together. But in public, he just had this fear of other people being able to hear what he had to say. So the moment we'd go into a restaurant, he'd literally go from like this to, yeah, man, no. <laughs> <laughs> and Then I'd be like, what the hell is happening? So I'd sit really far away from him and go, huh? Huh? What did you say, Ali? Huh? I was basically giving you free coaching, brother.
1: You were, you were giving me free coaching and, and I was sitting there like trying not to sweat while you were yelling as loud as you could and everyone even in the kitchen could hear exactly what our conversation was. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, why gosh. is this guy doing this? This is the weirdest thing that I've ever seen.
0: In us trying to be innovative and start the podcast <laughs> with a summary, we totally sidetracked and stuffed it up. So let me give a quick kind of recap back and pull us back into the topic of the book, Thinking Again mm. by Adam Grant. If I had to kind of summarize this as briefly as I could to give you a slight overall picture, I'd say that Think Again is it's an invitation for us to let go of knowledge and opinions that no longer serve us. And it teaches us the importance of flexibility in our thinking rather than consistency. And not only in our thinking, but also our beliefs and values. To know that the way we think, the values we have, the beliefs that we have, they should be flexible. As opposed to just always kind of fixed. And I love that. And I love that. If you had to do a high level summary, would you have one? I mean, th- that's my really short <laughs> high level summary.
1: Yeah. One of the biggest things that I took away from this was just it's a book about change and evolution. And I think that's one of the things that we very rarely look at is the way that we think and the beliefs that we have and the opinions we have. Like, how do we know the things that we know? And, Just that concept of looking at it from different angles and thinking about it in different ways. Uh, This is a great book in terms of providing you with examples and a lot of evidence of why it's important to sometimes challenge the way that we view the world.
0: Thank you, Ali. And and I guess the high level three topics I really want to hit during this podcast, and I'll try to hit more than these three, but the three that I really want to hit, the first one is uh, beware of hippos and why hippos are bad. We'll get into that more in the podcast, number one. The second thing is imposter syndrome is actually a good thing. And I think a lot of the times people, you know, when they hear that, they go, well, what do you mean? But I actually think this book has some evidence that backs it up. And I've also got some personal evidence as to why I think imposter syndrome is actually a good thing. And then the third thing I really want to hit is how intelligence is slightly overrated. And there's another skill that's really important, and it's the skill of thinking again. And we'll deep dive into that. Those are kind of my three What are three that you're going to go through in this podcast?
1: Love it. I think my first one was I really want to explore the concept of thinking like a scientist and the three things that really mess people up when they go down that approach. Mm. Second one is around having a challenge network and how important that is. And just a couple of examples of how I've used a challenge network in my life.
0: I mean, then, I mean, I even love the word. I love the word challenge network.
1: Challenge network. Hey, eh? it's, it's right. good.
0: It's like fun And fun.
1: mine mine is also probably around some of the pitfalls of overconfidence and the Donning Kruger effect and jumping into that.
0: And you had one more that you mentioned as well about negotiation, right?
1: Yeah. And then there's also an unlikely one that came out, which is probably four to five awesome tactics around negotiation that can be used when you are using concepts of think again.
0: Brilliant. Look, we're going to aim to hit all of these. And if we have time, we'll try <laughs> to hit even more. And I, I I think i kind of have to kick off with hippos and, and why hippos are bad.
1: And <laughs> why are hippos bad?
0: <laughs> why are hippos bad? Let's get into why hippos are bad. Well, first of all, I mean, an actual hippopotamus, they're one of the most dangerous animals. Uh, they kill more people than lions <laughs> and tigers, I believe. Yeah. I may be wrong, but HIPPO is used as an acronym. And HIPPO, H-I-P-P-O stands for highest paid person's opinion. And one, one of the main reasons why kind of Adam talks about this is that sometimes when we, within our network, you all know someone who's probably fairly wealthy or doing the best or making the most money financially. We tend to look at that person as anytime that person says anything, Yes, what they're saying is correct, surely, because they're the most highly paid person in our network. And I have to tell you, Ali, I th- and, and again, I'm not saying this to be kind of arrogant or you know, hopefully it doesn't come across as being an arrogant wanker. I, I am one of the most high, highest paid people in my network. And as a result, people around me always think that I have all the solutions to their problems and they think very highly of my opinion. And it's made me really scared to give opinions and advice now yeah. because I'm, I'm, I'm really aware that far out, just because I've done well in my area of expertise doesn't mean that my advice outside of my area of expertise has any weight at all. Yeah. But, but people tend to have that perception of me. And this has been exacerbated online with social media. Be- because I have more followers online now, it's crazy when I look at my DMs, brother. The number of people that think I can solve their life problems and not their communication skills problems—it's crazy. Yeah, you know, and and, and, you are pretty good at
1: solving life problems, though. Like, in fairness, Uh,
0: (laughs) you know, now I'm I'm questioning all of
1: the advice that you've ever given me, and I'm like, damn. (laughs)
0: <laughs> have, have you listened well, to the right person <laughs> yeah
1: like is this just because he's a communication ninja or was there actually any substance behind I what he know. said
0: I think, I, think I think this is where you realize i'm just an empty shell of a human being and there's nothing inside <laughs> you know it's, it's <laughs> you know what you know what, there's a quote in the board of magic and the quote is A magician guards an empty treasure chest, Uh. (laughs) right? Because when you look inside the chest, there's nothing. And when you find the secret, it's just disappointing. Maybe when you discover the real secret behind what's inside who I am, it's just disappointment. (laughs) But but I'll also go back and give you a bit of credit. The fact
1: that you're open enough to say that my knowledge or advice might not actually be correct is probably the reason why I'd actually come to you for more advice and insights because you are open to – Uh, you don't really preach that, hey, Ali, this is the only way you could do this thing. You're generally pretty open in the way that you you provide that. And you usually do preface it by saying that I have no idea what I'm talking about, but then you generally do have a pretty good idea of what you're talking about. So I'm going (laughs) to kind of disagree with, (laughs) you just want less people to come reach out to you. And I'm not going to let that happen. I like more people asking for advice. He's actually pretty good at it.
0: Well, I mean, isn't that interesting though? I mean, just from a psychological point of view, the mm. fact that I said that made you want to ask me for more life advice. Yeah. You need to think again about your choices in life, brother.
1: I fall for scarcity. If I see a line outside yeah, the door, I- I'm waiting for it. It's
0: it's happening. Oh, that is, that's, that's so true. That's so true. But I, I guess the reason I bring this up is because <laughs> I, I really want to call that out in that I, I really believe in society we tend to – put people on the pedestal who make a lot of money, right? Again, hippo, highest paid person's opinion. And we take experts and we put them on these pedestals. And I feel that a lot of the times we need to think again with these particular situations because advice is advice based on that person's life, their privileges they were born with, their experiences that they went through, their advantages that they had. We've just got to be so careful with taking advice from People who are doing well financially as being gospel, right? We've just got to be so careful with that. Even and I'm saying this because I need to remind myself. The, the moment I want to find advice for business, I can tell you the biggest error that I made was I immediately went to the highest net worth individual that I had in my circle. And that person was in property. I didn't really want to do anything in property. And I know I've mentioned this before, but then I just went to them for all the advice. And they gave me. All the wrong advice, because they were giving it to me from a property perspective, whereas I wanted to build a thought leadership practice I wanted to build a you know a, a business in the world of communication, a business in thought leadership in in, in speaking and in keynote speaking, et etc so again, I think look, I bring it up as one of the first things because I think we tend to now in the world where we live in value people who drive Lamborghinis, value people who 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 wear diamond-crusted watches, I think we just have to be aware of that. Mm. Just because they're wealthy doesn't mean they have the right answers. Yep. I think it's a really interesting concept
1: just on advice and trying to make this a little bit more actionable too is within future golf. I have generally a roving group of somewhere between eight to ten different advisors at any given time from a variety of professions and companies and levels of expertise. And – it's interesting over the years just seeing how different the advice is. Like so you can have somebody that's nearly achieved an identical outcome and they'll have a completely different way of how they view the journey towards that outcome. And I love that concept of you know it's not necessarily that a property person that you met with had the wrong advice. They were just giving you your that bit of advice to get to that goal based on their experience, right? And I think that's the beauty of getting multiple viewpoints is mm. You know, you can get really, really smart, and intelligent people. And what I've also found too, is that the variety of the advice can also vary on how that person communicates it. So recently we had like an advisory and strategy session. And funnily enough, when we looked back on it, one of the people probably had probably the most impactful advice for the problems that we were trying to solve was probably also one of the quietest people in those advisory sessions. But I'd say their like impact per word that they actually said was just extremely high. But if you weren't attentively listening or giving that person the stage, they probably would have just sat back and not participated because there was a lot more like extroverted people in the room that wanted to get a little bit more involved. And it's finding that mixture, right? Because I think you get the benefit of like storytelling, narrative, asking the right questions from those that are a little bit more, call it extroverted. And then I think you get the really well thought out insight, like specific moves, surgical precision, from those that are introverted. So just as a broad concept, I think bringing a variety of different people with different styles is something that can really colour in the picture a little bit more too.
0: Look, and I I, I love that. And I just want to quickly call out as well, because I do teach communication skills, I just want to say that the person that gave that incredible advice, that advice almost didn't see the light of day if maybe someone didn't create the opportunity for them to present that idea. And I think for... For for people like that, and, and, and if you are like that and you're listening right now, it's important for you to learn the skills to better give life to your ideas because otherwise those ideas will die with you, right? And I think a lot of the times people who have great ideas, they feel that I'm going to let my ideas, like, like people will come to me, they'll, they'll create space for me because they know I create these great ideas. But really, you've also got to learn to you can't just have great music. You have to learn how to play the music well as well. It's both because you had the level of intellect to better recognize that as being great music. I think sometimes when you don't deliver it well, people don't yeah. perceive it to be great music. They don't realize it's yeah. great music, right? Because it's yeah. said in such an way.
1: Yeah, it's true. Can, I think our can.
0: brains are naturally programmed to just go for the
1: music that sounds the best rather than potentially looking at the music that has the most technical complexity or or – yeah, practice or intellect behind it. And I think you, you mentioned that story a lot with magicians, right? It's usually mm-hmm. the person who tells the story and has the best showmanship mm-hmm. that gets rewarded the greatest in magic rather than those that have the greatest technical ability.
0: Well, let's just round it out because it's both. It's not just one or the other, right? It's not just delivery is important. It's you, You've got to have that great technical knowledge. You've got to have those deep thoughts and the ability to, to really distill all the knowledge. And then you've also got to be able to deliver it. It's both. It's both. But I mean, bringing it back to what you said, it's always (laughs) both. I I seriously think we're creating some merchandise later this year, Ali, and it's just the word both is going to be there or the word middle. Both. But I mean, like hippo, highest paid person's opinion. I think that means we also need hippos and lipos because we need lots of different perspectives, the highest paid person and also the lowest paid person and then the middle paid person. I think what we're saying here is get a range of different opinions. Don't just go for the highest paid person's opinion. Go for the person who's also got the most experience. Go for the person who's also in the industry that you actually want to get into. Go for the person who has a completely different set of experiences so they give you a completely different point of view. So I yep. I like that that came from Hippo, is that there are so many other opinions that are important besides the highest paid person's opinion. And, and sometimes even if it's hard to find people's you know
1: direct face-to-face conversation with people's whose whose opinions that you want I think the other great like way you can use this is with books right like if there's a topic Mm -hmm. that you want to learn about rather than just getting the number one best-selling book on that topic or the one book that somebody recommended get three of the books on that topic or five of the books on that topic and see where they balance out a little bit where where the key points stick out and I think that's another thing that I've been learning a lot about lately is just refinement you know that once you get an idea, it's like, okay, what's the next layer of that idea or that concept and digging a little bit deeper. Whereas I think over the last two years, I was just getting used to the habit of, of that surface level. The gut feels pretty good on this. Let's just go with it rather than digging into it a little bit deeper. And I think this book again, just confirmed that, that sometimes even just going one or two layers deeper than the initial surface level response or that gut feel response can pay huge benefits.
0: Mm. And And I mean, this is something that's not related to this particular book when I read it, but when, I mean, every year I read Naval's book. I mean, he didn't even write the book, but the almanac of Naval, (laughs) Uh, this is probably the fourth time I've read it now, because I kind of read it once every year. But this fourth time when I was reading the book, I was writing responses back to Naval as I was reading the book. So I've got his whole book now filled with my handwriting and me just writing back. Because again, instead of just accepting everything that he says... There are times when I question some of the things that he says, and I write it, and it kind of leads to different thoughts as opposed to, like you said, you just kind of read it and then you take it as it is. You kind of either extend on the thought, you challenge the thought, or, again, you can accept the thought and agree with it. So that was a, that was a little cool thing that I did when I was reading that book. Again, for the fourth time, it was way more engaging reading it in that way. But, yeah, cool. just, again, that, that process of taking it deeper, Going deeper with the things that you are consuming as opposed to just taking it for the surface level.
1: Probably you're having probably the deepest form of conversation with Naval in that format where you're just essentially, yeah, writing back. Love that. It's an awesome move.
0: It's the the only way I'm going to ever be able to to converse with Naval because, again, I think he he shares that his email is Naval at I don't (laughs) do coffee.com. I love it, (laughs) which is great. So that's the only way I'm ever going to be able to converse with Naval. If you're listening,
1: hook up a coffee with Vin. Yeah. Um, he'll talk really loud in the middle of the restaurant
0: and you won't know Absolutely. why he's doing it <laughs> i i have this fear though i have this fear that the moment i end up talking to him I, everything i say will just sound like the dumbest thing ever you know that, that you know you know when you're just really nervous and then you just say you know yeah. you, you know what is happiness or you just say something so stupid uh, yeah, no, it, Or mate. to go the
1: other way, you'll meet him and you'll be like, oh my God, he really didn't write this book. There's nothing here. <laughs> it's just, this is basic. I should have just read uh, the book. You know, sometimes it's better just to never meet your heroes.
0: Oh, I feel like he's a hero. That would be amazing uh, to meet though.
1: Speaking of, there's probably a little bit of a segue here right now. I think it's important to note that somebody quite impressive just started following our old mate
0: Vin Jang. You know what's crazy? <laughs> So yesterday, one of my friends uh, messages me, Fong, right? And he reaches out to me and he goes, bro, I didn't know Chris Pratt follows you. <laughs> now I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? You mean as in Chris Pratt, the, like the, the gun of the galaxies guy? I didn't even know he was following me. So then I searched Chris Pratt on Instagram. And then when I brought up Chris Pratt's profile, which is Pratt, Pratt, Pratt. And then what happens was it, instead of saying follow on his profile, he says, follow back. And I was, I did the massive, huh? What is happening right now? And I, I was so freaking mind blown. And then I sat there for hours going, what do I write? Do I say, <laughs> hello, Chris Pratt? Do I say, hello, Chris? <laughs> do I-, do I, do I Was your account Pratt? hacked? How, how was it? that an accident? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are you? So many questions went through my head. Why are you following me? Why? I want to know, like, do you like me? Do you, which, which is your favorite video of mine? Did, did you? Did you even watch? Do you even watch my videos? I'm a yeah. massive fan. And to, yeah.
1: I just. Do you need help with communication skills? It's
0: uh, like, <laughs> do, do you want my online course? I'll I'll give it to you for free. Um, and and, then I, and then, you know to be quite to be quite transparent and and to be really uh, bored as well. I think I messed up the message that I sent to him. Oh no. Oh. You know, because you know how you have this like really high level respect for me, Ali. Where you are like, oh, Vin's <laughs> gonna create like the best message that's gonna make oh. him reply. I think I left the lamest message. What did you do? Re- <laughs> <laughs> you are gonna share what the message is? <laughs> no, I don't think I will. Just because of you know, I want to be respectful with. And I this write. is still live as
1: well because he hasn't it, responded yet. He, so. <laughs> he
0: hasn't responded. But the thing is, I know he's seen my message because it says seen. This
1: is.
0: I think I've completely messed up uh, my one no. and only chance of being able to converse with my hero from Gardens of the Galaxy. Did you uh, go with like, uh, hey, Chris,
1: love your work. Are you able to make an introduction <laughs> to Iron Man and Thor or did you play it a little bit cooler
0: than that? Yeah, you know, hey, Chris, you you were great in The Avengers. And, oh, gosh, you know, I just, I, I think I've totally messed that up. But anyway.
1: Look, we'll provide updates we that. on how this story yeah. evolves in the coming episodes. Yeah, we'll update this.
0: Maybe on maybe on Podcast 50. He goes, oh, sorry, Vin, <laughs> accidental follow. <laughs> I
1: feel like you just have a periodic follow-up every week until he responds or unfollows you. Like, there's no point just leaving this one open.
0: Look, I, I will yeah. tell you. That right after I left the message and then I saw scene. I did go into his account again, checked his following and to see if I was still on there.
1: Because <laughs> I thought vulnerable. after he got the message, uh, I I the vulnerability
0: done. in sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought after he got the message, he would have went, yeah, no, nah, unfollow. Yeah, this guy's a bit of a <sighs> wanker. So he's still following me. He's still following so, me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a live check right now to see if he's still following, but maybe he's <laughs> already made that call at this point. Um, I love that. I love the thing. Hey, but you know what's crazy? He follows Ask Vin, right under that. Guess who? Jordan Peele, mate. Love you. Oh. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, in rising bloody. in the ranks in, in, in the world.
1: That's pretty <laughs> cool. I like that. Maybe he's just oh. sitting there and he's worried about how to respond now. So he's <laughs> like, <laughs> he's seeing it, but he just wants to take a couple of days.
0: <laughs> oh maybe maybe, no, but maybe I feel like like we should send him this video and just <laughs> be like, this is <laughs> No, but maybe, maybe he's doing that thing where he's you know he's playing that hard to get thing, you know. Maybe he's doing one yeah. of those if I if I if I respond too quickly, I've got to be mean, keep him keen. Right? You know, maybe he's doing a little bit of that. But maybe he's just kind of keeping me on the edge of my seat and and what a beautiful way to start the friendship because I feel really needy right now. I cannot wait <laughs> to get a reply. When he does, it's just gonna make my day. <laughs> <sighs>
1: Amazing. We digress.
0: Well, we digress. Thank you for letting me share that, though. That was very exciting. Oh, so good. Well, look, I, I think we've spoken about the dangers of hippos. Uh, you <laughs> know, that's one of the first things I wanted to talk about. And let's throw it over to you. What's one of, uh, let's go with one of the top three that you spoke about.
1: I think just probably continuing on on okay. this is I love the concept of having a challenge network and mm. why that's important. Right, So we spoke about a little bit around you know, the importance Define of- Define
0: challenge network. Define the challenge network. So challenge
1: network is just essentially a group of people that you could bring into your circle that provide, I guess, an element of psychological safety that you trust, but can question your thinking and some of your thought patterns and some of the moves that you're putting out there. So I think it's a, really it's a follow-on of having something like an echo chamber, right? And this especially happens when you're in a leadership position where people will ultimately you know, fight back maybe on some ideas and push back some places. But after a while, once you increase in influence, most people and people have a tendency to just surround themselves with others that are going to agree with them and provide more of a support network rather than a challenge network. So, the, so Adam Grant really talks about how important it is to actually have this challenge network and have a group there that have the confidence and the ability to question you on some of those ideas, but in a constructive way. And I think that's a really cool concept. So, we spoke about having like an advisory group or a mastermind or a group of people there. One of the other people that I've heard that said this really well there's a guy in Australia, his name's Nick Crocker, and he's like a venture capitalist for a company called Blackbird. And he has a group called the Elephant Group, where it's like this group of people that come together and they essentially share everything with each other, including their bank balances, all the other bits and pieces. Wow. So, that it's just a complete group of open vulnerability. And then in that group, they can kind of share everything, but then also get questioned and tested on some of those opinions. So I really love that notion of, yeah, how do you build a group of people who you do respect that do have a difference in ideas and opinions, but are also open enough to tell you, uh, hey, Ali or Vin, you might actually be wrong here you want to look at this in a different way? And you're probably one of the people that I thought of that I have in my challenge network where I'll be doing something yeah. a certain way and you often be like, hey, have you thought about communicating it this way? Have you looked at it mm. from this angle? And you just ask the right questions to get, um, get me thinking in a different way in a way that I also don't feel threatened or like want to then push back against. And I think that's also really important.
0: You see, and, and, and while you were talking about this, you are that person for me too. And you see, this is the danger of being a hippo. So if you are a hippo in your own network, the people around you become yes people. Mm-hmm. Every, everything you say is brilliant. Yes, of course. Everything. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. Right. So, so for me, like I said to you, I'm I'm a little bit of a hippo in my network, and and as a result yeah. of that, it's so important for me to have a challenge network. It's so important for me to have people like you, and and even for me, Ali. You know, outside of business, personally, Pay When my wife, she's my She's my challenge network. You no, know, it's, it's, it's w- that. Wives are fantastic challenge networks. Oh, they're amazing like, a- <laughs> challenge networks because you are not amazing to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like as, as amazing as you think I am and as I think you are, our wives do not think the same. No. Of us, no, no. they think Absolutely each other. Not. They
1: both think each other are amazing, but they
0: definitely oh. don't think that we're amazing at all. You're, do you remember when we caught up for New Year's and we were at a holiday house out in uh, Inman Valley in South Australia? And then your wife Chantel she she was she was just sharing a few little thoughts. And as as she kind of concludes sharing her ideas about life and stories about <laughs> life, my wife Pay went she'd just be clapping at the end of it, just standing no ovation. One else was clapping, yeah. And then when we said stuff. They didn't laugh, they didn't clap, they didn't acknowledge it. They just went, okay, so next person.
1: (laughs) uh, Well, I think your words were, I've been speaking for over 10 years and I've tried to become one of the best in the world at what I do and I've never once gotten applause for you. Chantal's told you two stories and you're clapping and standing up.
0: (laughs) For both of them. (laughs) For both (laughs) both of them. (laughs) Oh, anyway. so Look, I think it's important to have a, a challenge network professionally but also personally. Because what what a challenge network does is they help you see blind spots, right? And that's another one of the concepts that Adam talks about in the book, Think Again, is that there are intellectual blind spots that we all have. Just like a blind spot when you're driving. Think about when you're driving a car. If you never check your blind spot, guaranteed within the next week, you're going to crash your car. You'll crash into another person's car. It's extremely dangerous driving without checking your blind spot. It's also extremely dangerous living without having someone help you check for your blind spots. There are many intellectual blind spots that I fall victim to that if Pei Wen didn't call them out, far out. I wouldn't see it. And I'll give you a direct example. When I fall victim to materialism, Pei Wen is the first person to call it out. To go, hey, I think you're getting a little bit obsessive about you know what watch you're wearing. You know, Do you really care about that watch or are you just buying it because you're playing the status game? And I'm like, damn. <laughs> there, are, there are not a lot of people who 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 have the the courage or the vulnerability to be able to call me out on on stuff like that, like so blatantly, mm. you know. And 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 then what what is she doing when she says that? She's making me think again. So then I think again, and I go, you know what? I am playing the status game. I'm buying it because internally I don't feel as if I'm successful. And then I think if I buy that watch, it's going to make me feel more successful. I've done it twice already. It hasn't made me feel more successful. I think I need to reevaluate, you know, so, so that, that's a, like a personal example of how powerful it is having a challenge network. Do you have an example in the world of business for you where someone's made you think again because you had a challenge network? Do you have one that comes to mind?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like just one recently with one of the advisors when we were sitting and having a discussion, he was essentially saying that, look, it's, it's awesome how we, like, we approach our business with, I think, a decent degree of humility and we don't, you know, we try to keep it pretty chilled, you know, and Mm. um, this advisor was essentially saying, he's like, look, you're at the point in your journey where you guys are now one of the biggest, you know, sporting organisations, you're one of the biggest golf clubs in the country. But when he was actually asking a few people around, he's like, a lot of people are like, yeah, it's an interesting concept. You know, like the guys have done well. He's like, so it's nearly finding that match between, being a little bit more confident in how we present and how we actually mm. showcase where we're at now, I guess journey at the moment, and being just a little bit more like more confident. So not getting arrogant or overconfident, but just sort of presenting yeah, with a little bit yeah. more authority. Whereas we still probably just present more as the underdog, you know, the startup story, and and that just got yeah. me thinking a little bit differently. Now whether I go down that path or not, because I actually do think that there is something nice in humility. Like say if I look at leaders like Tim Cook, I think he leads with a fair bit of humility, you know, and he's not shouting Mm -hmm. it from the rooftop. So then I had to go back and then think about it and be like, okay, well, if I'm going to adjust that mindset, what does that actually look like? So it might just be a little bit more of like brand storytelling with still Mm. a little bit more humility, but I might- you know, not go too far as in to start, you know, going on a massive national PR tour of celebrating yeah, all of best. every single one of our wins. So, so it's like because a little yeah. It's like ah, yeah. Because I'm also quite conscious of, yeah, you can fall from the cliff uh pretty quickly. So well,
0: and you don't want <laughs> you don't want that in the recorded in the histories of time once that's there. You know what the answer is. I'm gonna count down from three, we're gonna say it. Three, Ooh. two, one, both. Both. Oh, you didn't say I really it. wanted to – I said both. both. I said oh, yeah, both. I was going to say hippo know. though. I really like that word. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think it's about – I mean, what a wonderful example of how even in okay. business, having a challenge network, they challenge you, are you playing too small? Yeah. You know, they challenge you with, are you, are you so attached to the underdog story that it's doing you a disservice in the world of business and people aren't seeing you for who you truly are? because you're so attached to that underdog identity, right? It, yeah. it sounds to me as if, you know, Future Golf now is going through such an incredible transformation. You know, you're moving from the startup phase and you're evolving completely into a whole new era of the business now, which requires you to, you know, almost update that identity. Yeah. And,
1: and it's true. weird even thinking of this really as a cool. startup. Like, we've been around for eight years. I'm like, that's <laughs> the <laughs> slowest startup that you can ever
0: think. Of. It's a
1: slow up. It's I like- think it's for- <laughs>
0: I think it's your attachment to the underdog. That Yeah, I love the underdog. And and I I really think that the advisor who shared this with you has a really good point. You need to think again because
1: you're no longer an underdog. That's why I've never shared this story with you until today.
0: (laughs) You're no longer an underdog. Talk louder. Be bigger. Stop playing so small. (laughs) I'm feeling uncomfortable. I want to leave this podcast now. (laughs) See, I feel like the difference between you and I is – People will start digging more into you and realize that you're a treasure chest filled with value. And then for me, they start digging in and they just find an empty treasure chest. They find nothing. No, what the hell? That's why we're a but, good friendship, but brother. But because, us
1: combined. Know, it's as like combined. A, a normal person. <laughs> I think I think Chris Pratt needs to follow you as well as me so that he doesn't get oh, disappointed. Jeez, that would be the worst decision of his life. I that think so. Like- but
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think no, yeah. that would be... Please reply, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening. (laughs) If you're listening. Do you want me to start
1: messaging him? Look, I've got like (laughs) 1,500 followers. I'll be like, hey, you find my mate
0: Vin. He's really sad that you haven't replied yet. (laughs) It's like full high school tactics. It's like, hey, I just just want to say, hi, Chris. My name's Ali. I'm Vin's best friend and... Well, Tim, if you, if you said hi back. Yeah, no, you, you probably don't know who I am. <laughs> I, I just run a small startup, you know. I've been running this startup for eight years, but we're, we're still a startup. No, no. But we're, I go full arrogant.
1: Dogs. I'm like, I run one of like the biggest startups in the world. Like,
0: <laughs> You're like, no,
1: Ali, that was the wrong time no, 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 to no, no, do no, that. You, you have to no, use humility.
0: no, 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 no. Listen, <laughs> do you know that on Chris's profile, he writes that he's a professional golfer? Ah, let's go play golf with Chris. I'm telling you, yeah, I'm I'm shit at it, but on his profile, he writes professional actor and professional golfer. There you go. There you go. Chris. I'm telling you, the universe, man. It's like, what's going on?
1: We've got a couple of ambassador spots available for future golf, just if you want to come to Australia and play some some local and regional events.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for for a startup that's been around for eight years with a guy that is a charlatan and has nothing inside. Yeah, if you want to come along. Come along, Chris. It'd be a great no, that's time. our pitch. Yeah, solid, solid, solid. Uh, well, did, did you have any other thoughts you wanted to round out before we just you know, talk about on Challenge Network? On. Yeah, on ch- I mean, how, how would you go about it? I mean, how how did you put like how do you structure that? I mean, how did well, you put a together your question? What
1: ch- Challenge Network? I think so. Initially, the way that I found them is. A lot of this group was through mutual introductions. Now, that's a hard one to attach practical advice to, but it was just simply asking people that I knew that were connected to some of the people in Australia that have solved some of the problems or solutions or strategies that we're looking at exploring. And it's hilarious. Like when you go and speak to someone within your own circle that you've got at the moment. You're just like, Hey, do you know anyone that's pretty good at marketing that you've worked with before that you've heard of, Or do you know anyone that is great at commercial deals and strategy that you could recommend? It's like that simple question and straight away people are like, Oh yeah, I've got two or three. I'll make an intro or a connection, you know? And then from there, it's pretty much, yeah, going, going on that first date and yeah, not doing a VIN with Chris Pratt and making sure that they're engaging somehow. <laughs>
0: But no, when, when, I, when I think about challenge networks, I think it's important to, to update them from time to time too. I think it's not yep. about just getting a diverse group and then cons- sticking with that consistent group. I mean, the, the, the theme of this book is about flexibility, right? And I think it's yep. important as we move on to different projects, as we move on to different areas of life, as we move on to different eras in our business, different stages of life for our business, we need a new set of challenge uh, yep. network members, right? Just like you. you. I mean, I, I remember during our life design retreat this year and, and recalibrate retreat where we took, you know, five to seven days away just to reflect on life and how we want to live this year. One of the things you immediately brought up is you recognized that you needed a new layer of intelligence. You needed more intelligence in your business, which really to me was you saying, I need a new challenge network with people who think differently and are going to bring fresh ideas. And- yep. I think we we rarely do this. Not only for business, but gosh, when do you do it for your personal life? Do oh, you bring in some fresh perspectives that help you go, "Hey, I think you're, I think you're not living well in this spot here." And, and then they bring fresh ideas. You know what fresh ideas bring? Inspiration, motivation. Absolutely. Gosh, yep. nothing like a and new idea that just makes you mm, feel good. And I think sometimes it can be scary.
1: Like you know, like I always yeah. think about it, even it's from, true. you know, when, when you have external people coming in asking questions and that it can be a bit scary for especially even the team and people around there but when you actually break it down at the end it does eventually elevate everyone within that ecosystem because now they're able to also leverage the quality of that information a little bit more they're able to get a little bit more support training and development and just from what i've seen over the past few years it's been one of the most effective ways for us to progress is just finding this you know advisory group expert group but then also refreshing that periodically so Mm. this is the first refresh that i've done probably in two or three years. And wow, the insights and I think it's also just confirming ideas that we already had, but hearing them in a different lens and from a different voice. It's a bit like, you know, when your parents tell you something, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't even know what you're talking about. It's like nearly having that spoken from a new voice in a different way. I think it just has such an impact. It's like, oh, now like two, three, four other people are telling us the same things. And, and the biggest thing here with making the most out of these challenge networks, like if people are thinking about, all right, how do I actually go about this? It's what you teach. I think it's really building rapport as quick as you can and sharing stories and being clear on your pitch Off why there can be an exchange of value here and then understanding what's also in it for the other person. Like, I think that's one of the, we've sp- probably spoken about this in other episodes, but you know, sometimes people are like, Hey, how are you Ian? I'd love to just pick your brain for 15 minutes over a coffee. Now you, without any context, why would you ever say yes to that? Right? Like when you don't know anything about that person and you don't know why they're reaching out, it's one of the hardest things to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's do it because you don't you don't know what you're in for. Like this could be 15 minute coffee or an hour coffee and the level of uncertainty and what are we going to talk about? It's never a 15 minute
0: coffee.
1: It's never a 15 minute coffee. And and it's really hard when there isn't clarity on what's the purpose of this interaction, you know, and, Mm. and is there other ways that I can give you value that doesn't mean that, you know, need to block out time for a, catch up. And I think that's one of the real tricky things is finding that, that mutual exchange and the right timing with the people that you're speaking to as well. I think you spoke about this and I'd love you to share this, but when you look at, I think you're one of the best at distilling experts and people that have walked the path ahead of you. And I loved what you said the other day when we were catching up, which was around, you know, whether you look at five or 10 steps ahead or whether you look at two or three steps, like you want to explain that concept?
0: Yeah. I think, I think when you're looking for people to inspire you, there's two buckets of people that are going to inspire you. So for example, people look at Elon Musk, they look at Jeff Bezos, they look at Oprah Winfrey, they look at Brene Brown, they look at, all. okay, these are people who are rather successful in their own given field. Now, that to me, that's people who are a hundred steps ahead of you, right? Because if I compare myself to someone like a Jeff Bezos, for example, yeah, you're like a thousand steps ahead of me. Now, those kind of people are really important because they create inspiration. Right? So when you look at someone like that, you're like, wow, this is amazing. This person's like Michael Jordan. Wow, what an inspiration. But they're so far away from you that if you had a conversation with them, let's say that somehow you managed to have a conversation with them, because they are so far ahead of you, they're in a completely different geographical location to you. So when they start giving you thoughts or advice, it's so far removed from where you currently are that it's very difficult for you to apply some of that advice right? Whereas I always look for that category. So people who are a hundred, a thousand steps ahead of me, important because they create inspiration for me. But then when I look for pragmatic advice and I'm looking for pragmatic models to copy, I find people who are only one to two steps ahead of me. So then I, you know, I go on YouTube, I search on YouTube, I search on Google, I search on line in general, and I look for people who are just a couple of steps ahead of me. And I listen to their podcasts. I read their books if they have one. I check out their blogs. I follow them on all social media platforms. I watch what they're doing. And from doing that research and doing that kind of analysis, I then can extract the pragmatic blueprint Mm -hmm. that is super relevant to my business, super relevant to me currently in my phase of business. And then I'm able to find 10 to 20 moves that are extremely powerful and pragmatic that create immediate results. Whereas the, the biggest error is that I used to try to find pragmatic strategies from Elon Musk and it just doesn't work because he's so far ahead of me in a completely You're different like, industry. Buy so-
1: Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: it's, it's next on the list. Yes, that's a <laughs> really good point. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's easy. It. I'll do that next week on a Tuesday. Yeah. You know, so so it's it's one of those things where I think it's important to be very conscious of those two buckets of um, of yep. people who inspire you. Find those that are further away for inspirational purposes. Find others that are only one or two steps ahead of you mm-hmm. for pragmatic reasons so you can model them.
1: I love what you said there. Is And then once you look at those two, those people that are maybe one to three steps ahead of you, you then mm-hmm. mentioned that you find their blueprint. Yeah. Do you have a process of how you find their blueprint?
0: Well, for me, I play a lot in the social media game, right? So uh, i i I'm, I'm working really hard to build a – a strong social following, et cetera. And then, you know, I've got an online business. I teach online, et cetera. So for me, what I do is it's not just about listening to that person talk because that person may not have a podcast. That person may not have anything. So what I do is I watch them. I watch them on the platform. I don't really listen to what they say. I watch what they do. And and I'll share an example. I mean, one of the people that inspire me is Mel Robbins, right? So my team and I were sitting down looking at Mel Robbins' kind of social media. And what we realized, one of the strategies we realized was that once a week, Mel Robbins would post a video that wasn't hers. That was a video that was in general going viral on social media. And we saw that her do that consistently once a week. So we're like, oh, that's such a great idea. But what Mel does is she just does a caption that is relevant to her message, but she puts her own spin on it. So then I immediately looked at that and went to my team. I said, hey you know i said i said to peter who he helps me run my social media i said peter look this is a great strategy every week peter i want you to bring to me the top viral videos and i'm going to pick the one that's most relevant and i'm going to write the copy for it to give a communication spin and we just did that this week and the moment we put that out that's an extra piece of content it got quarter of a million views within 2 days and i was able to have a touch point with my audience create more of a dynamic brand because i'm now able to show people more parts of who i am because I'm able to share with them the videos that I watch. Hmm. So it was a multifacet tactical move that I found in me watching the people and what they're doing that are only one to two steps ahead of me, as opposed to waiting for them to say that strategy in a podcast because they didn't, you know, Mel didn't talk about that at all. So to me, I am able to distill the pragmatic moves from watching and analyzing as opposed to listening and waiting for you to hand feed me the hmm. strategies that you're using. Yep. And then are
1: you just taking
0: notes when you're seeing those moves and you're
1: like trying to connect the dots a little bit with what you're seeing? Like is it a bit of a brain dump first and then filtering
0: it? Credit where credit is due. It's what Adam Grant talks about. I give, I've give. i created time in my week now where I just sit, I watch, I I, I absorb. So I'm, I'm consuming content and I'm just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I'll just sit there for a couple of hours. But when I'm looking through the different profiles of the people that I'm inspired by – I sit there and and I'm not sitting there to procrastinate or to enjoy. I'm sitting there rather to analyze and review. Hey, what are they doing on their feeds? How are they getting, how how did that, why did that video of theirs get a million views? And why did they go through a small period where they only got, you know, they got 3 million followers, but look, there's like a three week period where they only got maybe more than 200,000 views on each video. Why is that? How come there was a week where they consistently got 7 million views? And so I look at that and I look for patterns. So me, yeah. it's, it's more dedicated time to consume and analyze. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you start to see patterns. And as human beings, all of you have this, not just me. Everyone has this. We are pattern, sometimes it's bad because sometimes we create patterns where patterns don't even exist. But there are times when you see a very clear pattern where something is there. So I, I sit down, I analyze, I take the ideas, I take it to my team and my team are my challenge network. And very easily there are times when Peter's like, yeah, I, I, I can see from his facial expression. Where, <laughs> you know, it's like you recognize the pattern in the clouds and you're like, oh my God, can you see the the plane in the clouds? Like, it, no, like, no, no, that's not a plane, mate. That's just, no. You're seeing,
1: you're like we need see. to close down Instagram. He's like, oh, ah, no, let's not do it. It's
0: like, <laughs> Well, well that, that, that's a form of bias, right? The yep. form of bias that... that that Adam talks about, it's called the desirability bias. And the desirability bias is our tendency to see what we want to see. Mm. So yeah. you've got to be careful of that too. Oh. However, yeah. what I'm saying is it's important to sit and just think. It's important to sit and just analyze. Mm. Because when you think and you analyze, it helps you see some patterns which become pragmatic strategies, especially from the yeah. people one to two steps ahead of you. I love it. Because I was thinking about my process and when you said the word pattern recognition, that's exactly
1: what I'd running through my mind. Is mm. even when I think about the sessions that we did with all of the advisors the other day, mm-hmm. it was really collecting all of the notes. Then I think there's also a concept there of repetition and just mm. going through it over and over again until the clarity keeps increasing. Mm. Right? Like, because when you read something once, you get one insight. Like you mentioned before with Naval's book, you read it the second time, you get it the third time, it's different. The fourth time, it's nearly like a form of system two or subconscious thinking or nearly mm-hmm. meditation on the topic. And then the longer you spend with that problem, leave it, come back to it, I think then the clarity just keeps increasing over a period of time. And I don't know if you found this as well, but I find that, Sometimes it can take a year, year and a half for something to become really clear because then the timing's right. The knowledge is right. The people are right with that move. And I've also found like patience with some of these, call it seedlings of an idea or advice. It's also how do you then mix that with the intersection of like timing and opportunity. And when on the rare moments where I've got that right, it's like, wow, something pretty magical happens.
0: Yeah, and and it feels like these thoughts and these ideas often need nurturing and care. And the way you nurture and care for these ideas is you keep thinking about them and you keep rethinking them. And it's like the process of thinking about it and rethinking about it is the process of nurturing the idea to the point where it becomes ready for fate to occur almost, right? Like I think I shared this word with you and you loved it. In the Vietnamese language, there's a word called ewing. Mm. D-U-Y-E-N. Yu-ing, and yuing is a word where we use a lot of that in vietnamese to say that oh if something hasn't happened yet we say that the yuing there wasn't enough yuing in that situation for that thing to have occurred and when you have enough of this kind of mystical thing called yuing which is enough fate when there's enough of it there it will gradually occur you know and we use it to explain things for example as Wally, well, the reason why i didn't meet you when i was 10 was it was almost like there wasn't enough yuing for us to meet and the reason we met when we met was that yuing hit a threshold where then you and I met. That's yeah, right. So, so it, it's a beautiful little concept. To it just helps you reframe and think about life in a certain way. Yeah. You know, you go, "Oh, I'm not succeeding yet. There's not enough of this." You in here yet? You know? Yeah, but of course, you have got to work yeah. as well. You can't just you can't just sit and wait for you in your whole life.
1: <laughs> that's even better than the word both. I think that's the one that I'd get tattooed. It, it's been a, one of our hey, words of the month. I'd say. Wow. Absolutely, yeah, it's beautiful. I've shared that with a few people you? and they love it too. It's mm. brilliant. Get it on your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a perfect place to get anything, isn't it? <laughs> we'll
0: get it's our nice logo there too. <laughs> <just> like, look, <laughs>
1: yeah. This is definitely going to be permanent for the rest
0: of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't think that. You shouldn't think that one again. Yeah, that's one you just do straight away. Yeah. You do that straight yeah.
1: away. our yeah. Well, let, desirability bias there.
0: Let's <laughs> segue into the next topic of, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, let's talk about it. We've said it multiple times now, but the importance of thinking again is one of the points <laughs> I wanted to hit on. You no know, it's it's not really just about intelligence. Uh, it's about the ability to think again. And, and I, I love the example that Adam Grant talked about in the book where you know they had they they monitored hundreds or thousands of students, and students who decided on an answer for a multiple test, uh, a multiple choice test, and they kind of made a decision and they stuck with it. Uh, those children, when they kind of monitored that situation, the kids who just kind of went with their first answer, went with the first gut feeling of what the answer should be and they didn't change their minds, they were wrong more often as compared to the students who changed their minds. And they were able to determine the kids that changed their minds because they gave them a pencil and you know, they kind of circled in B and then they rubbed it out, erased it, and then they kind of changed their answer to C. They found that more often than not, when you change your mind, you're changing your mind to the right answer, right? which was which was really interesting when they had that kind of,
1: Statistic. I used to, to do that too, but I'd just be cheating off the smart kid, So I'd go with my original answer and then be like, "I know, wait, it's B be because yeah, she had it as B."
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a form of thinking again. You kind of, That's you right. kind of didn't. Yeah, you didn't believe in yourself and you believed in other people and their capabilities. Yeah. That is thinking again. again. I was
1: willing to go with the best person, the most intelligent person's advice, and I was able to challenge
0: my own initial reaction to the answer. <laughs> well. I mean, what I—I what, what I mean, I did that too. So what I love about uh, the whole idea behind thinking again is important is it aligns with the philosophy that as we as we grow older in life, we don't become more correct, we just become less wrong. And thinking again allows us to become less and less and less wrong in our lives. It, thinking again allows us to further refine our ideas and our beliefs and our values. Whereas, I mean, imagine this, right? Imagine you'd never think again. And once you turn twenty, you solidify in beliefs, values, and ideas about the world that you never think again about. Then that means that means holy crap! But by the time you're fifty, you you you're still actually twenty. If you never think again on anything in life, is there any wisdom? I, I I don't think so. I think thinking again is the path that we all must take towards becoming wiser. I mean, if you don't think again. And at 21, you just solidify all your values and beliefs and lessons about the world. Gosh, you'd you'd, you'd become the dumbest 50-year-old I've ever met. Well, you know
1: when people ask that question, hey, uh, what's the key to success and how it's nearly the impossible question to answer? I think this Mm. might be pretty close, Mm. right? Like if you're able to challenge your own, like your values and your beliefs and what you think is correct Mm -hmm. very regularly, Mm-hmm. I just think your chances of getting favorable outcomes are always going to be increased too. Right? like Even in the book, they use examples of, I think, the, the person who started BlackBerry. Right? So mm-hmm. they have the example there, like BlackBerry became amazing. And then the team was sort of telling, telling I think his name was Mike, it's like, you know, we need to get an internet browser. We need to put in encrypted messages. And he was just like, no, 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 no. It's not part of this. You know, we're just going to keep it as it is because it's worked for this period of time. And then they contrasted that with the Steve Jobs example where Steve Jobs is actually credited, you know, by being the genius behind the iPhone and for putting it out there. But the actual story was it was the iPod team that were trying to convince Steve Jobs for ages saying that, hey, we need to look at turning this potentially into a phone. And Jobs hated the idea of a phone, I think, because in the 90s they tried something and it failed and had the, the notepad that didn't work. But then after a while, his team sort of wore him down and were like, hey, we really need to think this thing through again. And they eventually convinced him that it was a good idea and then the rest is history, right? Mm. So I think that that sort of – and I think the Dyson vacuum story is also pretty similar where just multiple evolutions of the innovations, always sort of thinking thinking outside the box. But we're using just some business examples here. But I even think it works in any areas of high performance that those that are most open to sort of rethinking and reshaping their views on stuff seem to – generally have the most sustained period of
0: excellence? I, I always think about it in, in the sense of gaming, right? So I, I play a bit of Age of Empires with, with my best friends and it's such a great game. Gosh, I love it. You've got to get you into it sometime. You'll be terrible when oh, to get you into it that'd sometime. That'd be good. It's a strategy game, isn't it? It is a strategy game. And the reason yeah, no, I bring I'm it up is because... <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because... imagine <laughs> overconfidence like,
1: when you haven't tried anything before that they also talk about in the book.
0: Yeah, that's, the, that's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. That's the Dunning-Kruger yeah.
1: effect that we mentioned at the start
0: of the well, episode. Well, what I wanted to say was that if I played Age of Empires with the exact same strategy without ever rethinking my strategy, I would lose the majority of the time. Okay? I, I, well, let, let's give me the benefit of the doubt. I'd win 50% of the time and I'd lose 50% of the time. However, if I think again about my strategy based on how my opponent is playing in the game, and I continually revise my strategy every opponent I play, I will now win maybe 60 to 70% of the time. And, and that that actually is true. And I found that journey when I was, when I, as I've been playing Age of Empires, because normally when I play Age of Empires, I just play and then I mass a bunch of units and, 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 and soldiers and I go and attack. And then there were times where I win and then times I lose. And I go, oh, it's kind of random. But it only feels random when I stick to the same strategy. When I adjust my strategy to the opponent that I'm playing with, I can now win the majority of the time and I'm not that good of a player, but just by being more adaptive and by rethinking my strategy in that simple analogy of playing a game, I'm able to win more often. Now, imagine you took this idea and you applied it to your own life. If you adjusted your thinking and you would think again on certain topics as you navigate through your life, goodness, even if you could just win 56% of the time, you've got the majority. And that 6% over time compounds like crazy. So as opposed to life kind of feeling a little bit yo-yo, if you do commit to the process of thinking again about the way you're living, the way you're approaching life, the way you're approaching your career, if you're willing to adopt flexibility as opposed to just being fixated on a certain series of ideas, it will 100% have a positive impact on your life.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure. I think a
1: really cool, just as you were saying that, a practical example of this, mm. and it's something that I don't think's too common, but it's when you're embarking on acquiring a skill or becoming better at something, it's the notion of brain dumping. Like you, you spoke earlier about finding the blueprints, but I think it's also brain dumping to see, okay, well, this is the end goal. Like say the goal is I want to become a little bit better at Age of Empires. And instead of just, I think what a lot of people do, they just keep playing the game, right? They'll, they'll go in with the skill level that they started at and then they'll just play it the exact same way, minor a few different changes, um, and be like, oh, I wonder why I only win 50% of the time. Whereas I think yeah. people that probably excel at those types of games or even when I used to think about when I used to play a lot of video games when I was younger, it's like my mates would just kind of play based on their knowledge, based on the fact that they've had lots of experience and they've played the game over and over again. Whereas what I'd do once everyone left is I'd see is there a guidebook? And back then, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have any of these other things. So it's like, is there a guidebook? Is there anything you can find online? Is there some other settings or skills that you can adjust a little bit? Like, was there a way to hack getting better at the game without having a knowledge of it? Like, the example that I think about is basketball. All of my best friends played heaps of basketball. So they just knew basketball better, whereas I didn't really know it. So I had to kind of hack my understanding of it and figure out, okay, well, what's the way without really having 15, 20 years of knowledge of what the actual sport's like? Are there ways that I can just figure out an effective way to play this game so I can be competitive? and then potentially win it. And then it's like, all right, certain teams have certain attributes that are easy to learn. Certain players have certain tendencies where if you do this combination of buttons, they'll be able to score 70 80% of the time. If you run certain plays against certain defenses, you're going to be able to shoot around them. It's like if you set up your team like this, there's this one player that I don't know why he's got a glitch, but he can just shoot a 3 and nearly every time it goes in. <laughs> it's like so you can start hacking together like a winning formula without yeah. – really being there just by thinking outside the box a little bit and then using a brain dump mentality. And and I ended up doing the same thing when online gaming started in 2008 with FIFA 08, oh soccer game. Never really played it, but just by finding a couple of those combinations and online gaming was a lot smaller back then. I think I was ranked like 32nd in the world at this video game where I'd never played the sport as a kid, didn't really understand it, but just by finding a couple of these combo moves a little bit quicker than other people, you're able to get – a little bit of an advantage um, in that environment.
0: You've just made me realize that the whole concept behind being more strategic is really just about rethinking and reanalyzing the way you play. Yep. That's really what it is. I mean, if you think about how do you, strat- how do you get better at strategy, get better at rethinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? What you were doing is you'd play. You'd take time out, you'd rethink how you played and you try to inject more intelligence and then you go play again with the new knowledge. And then after that, you'll sit down, you rethink about the way you played with the new knowledge and you would analyze how that new knowledge served you. And then you got more knowledge and then you played again with more new knowledge. So really, if you think about it in pragmatic terms, it's, it's become super clear to me, just listening to you talk, it's that to become more strategic is to become a better rethinker. Mm. Yep. And 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 to live better as well, I mean, I've got to give you a personal example as well. I, I think you probably can relate to this one. Mm-hmm. I for the longest time, I used to have this feeling in my heart where when <laughs> I'd achieve things when i'd when i'd achieve kind of milestones in my life and you know whether it's oh, i got a million views or I got uh, you know half a million subscribers or whatever and or I got this really big keynote with a with a fortune one hundred company and and I'd celebrate that with Pei Wen, my wife and and sometimes she wouldn't make that big of a deal out of it. You know, she'd be like, oh yeah, that's good. Oh, congrats. Right. Whereas when I'd call you, you'd be like, oh bro, this is amazing. And you'd take this massive amount of time and you'd, you'd celebrate with me and everything. And, and and I'd share it on social media and all these people are just writing all these beautiful comments and everything. And I kind of go, how come Pamela doesn't do that? Does she not love me? And, and, and that's the way I used to think about it. And I, I didn't. I didn't rethink those moments until recently when I read this book. I kind of went, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to some challenging areas in my personal life where maybe I'm going to apply a little bit of rethinking to it and then see what happens. And I journaled about it the other morning. And something beautiful came from it. I, when I was rethinking those situations, I'd realized that Peiwen has loved me for everything that came before all of that. Those things didn't matter to her. Mm-hmm. She loved me before any of those achievements ever came about. And I'd completely missed the beauty of that frame of thinking because I never bothered to go back to rethink those situations. That here is a woman that loves you for everything that came before the material success in your life. You are so damn lucky to have someone who loves you as you, not for the companies you work with, not for the number of followers that you, followers that you have. And that just made me, made me rethink so much in my relationship. And like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm at home by myself because Pei Wen <laughs> and Xander are in Malaysia celebrating Chinese New Year with her family. I've got to be here for work at the moment. But I, I can't wait to see her this Sunday with this revitalized appreciation. For someone who loves me for everything that came before.
1: Yeah, I was telling Chantal this morning, I'm like, I don't know if Vin's going to survive longer than a week without Pei Wan, like literally on a practical level. I think he might.
0: <laughs> I spoke to him the other night and he wasn't looking too good. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I had for dinner the other night? I, I had a protein shake and two eggs.
1: <laughs> and like the sad stories of you going down to like the grocery store oh. and just buying one Red Bull and then like coming home and... Like, oh, I was I like, know was if- I meant to
0: buy anything else? <laughs> 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 oh, I'm the worst! I think I'm gonna die. It's, it's, like- it's currently Wednesday. I don't think I'm gonna make it till Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, you, we'll get the we'll get the challenge
1: network around you to, to bring you through. I mean, that that yeah. that's
0: the beauty of rethinking. I mean, gosh, I I remember that used to be a thought in my mind that would kind of bother me a little bit, and yeah. and it bothered me because I never. Went back to rethink it, and the moment I rethought that little situation, oh, that's complete! Gosh, I've been I've been almost carrying that little burden with me for for years. And then the moment I rethought about it, I, I rethinked the situation completely. The weight is completely gone, and it turned in, mm-hmm. it turned something that was a little bit of a a little bit of a, a heaviness that I carried, and now has become something just so beautiful. And it's because I was able to rethink it. And yeah. it's not just in rethinking. I think in rethinking, we have the opportunity to reframe as well. That's right. I think when you combine rethinking with reframing, oh, now you've, now you've just turned a, a, a handgun into a nuclear weapon. Yeah. You, you, yeah. It's so much more powerful. Well, what you did there was beautiful, right? Like the reality is that Pei
1: Wen just hates you talking about your wins because you've had so many over the last 15 years, and now you've reshaped it as this beautiful story I of unconditional love.
0: <laughs> it, may, it may be about unconditional love, you bastard. It may a monster. I'm just I'm monster. adding another perspective, right, to this thought. You're a monster. It was but so beautiful. beautiful. Just, but, it was so but beautiful a minute ago and Prank <laughs> Magic Ali comes along. Maybe no, that she actually beautiful. hates you, bro. She oh, if Hayward was
1: commenting right now, she would be like, yep, Ali's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then you'd have so to rethink sad. it again and then put I'm more lemons sad, into yeah. lemonade somehow post, post, someone, post the
0: but maybe she's <laughs> But maybe she's just saying that because she wants me to, you know, stay at my best and not, not get comfortable. Yeah. yeah, that's the other one. She just wants you to stay sharp and not get complacent as well. <laughs>
1: It's like, yeah, come back to me when you've got 2 million views, buddy. It's like, (laughs) I don't want any of this 500,000. What are you celebrating? I'm
0: just going to pretend I didn't hear what you said. I'm just (laughs) going to keep moving forward in life. This is the downsides of a
1: challenge network. It's
0: (laughs) This is when it goes bad. (laughs) (laughs) Your wife doesn't love you either. So there you go. (laughs) I'm
1: like, I know, I know. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> she tells me uh. every day <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. just become an episode of just high school backyard slandering and just
1: yeah no now this bullying. bullying it's uh, like we've bullying. gone from a uh, psychological safety to just well,
0: well look going. i i want to i want to bring it back i want to realize back here right <laughs> and then i want to realize back to but, but that was re-thinking. a beautiful story that you shared oh well thank you for saying that after you yeah. teased me about yeah. it doesn't quite get yeah, not after that yeah, it turned a beautiful moment.
1: Actually, into my like favorite a down part moment. was when I teased you. Yeah.
0: yeah, my favorite part was when I said <laughs> it for the first time and didn't have any contribution <laughs> from you. <laughs> when it was pure. When it was when, pure. it was when it was beautiful. Yeah, when it was beautiful. It wasn't beautiful anymore <laughs> after that. Yeah. Just... Like
1: imagine that though, you're doing your keynote That's and good. then I've just got additional commentary around like, every point that you yeah. share.
0: <laughs> it's like we're talking in a, in a private chat group this morning where you're like what hey vin if uh, if a brand came along and gave you a billion dollar brand deal and and they needed to remove me from the podcast would you remove me and i was like yeah 100 it would be yeah, the vin yeah. show i would 100 yeah. remove you from the vin and ali show in a heartbeat God, well, you, me, you, yeah i know <laughs> i mean economically you said what if they gave you a billion dollar deal would you do it and i'm like yeah no, no like, question i answered so quickly as part of your challenge network, I'd be like,
1: look, even though this is going to negatively impact me, I think it's probably the best move,
0: really. See, that's why I love you too. That's why I love you too. But don't worry, man. I'll, I'll, I'll give you half of it. Yeah, then then Devin, move. like, I'll go now. If that's... If
1: that's we can just end leave, the episode. Leave mid-episode. Look, look, we don't even have to be friends again. Like, if that's part oh, of the dude. deal, it's just like...
0: It's oh, like, oh now you've made it you're not even, <laughs> Do you always... You always take beautiful things and you just make us sad. Cause I, I kind of would want to still be your friend. You see, you're a monster. You're a bloody monster, <laughs> eh? you're a monster. Hey Wen's like, yeah, definitely we'll all take it.
1: Like I like you cut me in for 333 um out of the bill, I'm out too. It's
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone that's ever loved me just starts leaving me because of money. <laughs> Just oh, taking a cut out oh, of this deal. It's like, why did uh, why
1: did this company do this? What was one of the conditions that I can have no one uh, that really likes me? Wife leaves me. My it. best friend
0: leaves. Uh, Even my bring dog takes clipping and just leaves as well, <laughs> just like, packs his bags and now I'm out. I'm out too. Uh, all right, let me let me try to reel us back in here a little bit. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the 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 job of the the adult here and yeah, with the adult thinking when we're rethinking and we're relearning, I think what's really important here is the ability to unlearn something. Because when when you talk about rethinking, you can't talk about rethinking without talking about unlearning. Right? And Mm -hmm. uh, I think Adam did a great job about bringing up the importance of rethinking uh, and and, and unlearning. However, was it me, or did he not really share tips and ideas on how to unlearn things?
1: Uh... Broadly speaking, but I'm keen to hear what you're thinking.
0: Yeah. Whereas when I think about unlearning something, I I, I kind of sat with it before the podcast for a bit and kind of went, how do I how do I actually unlearn something? And, and to me, three things kind of stood out because I wanted to be a bit pragmatic for our listeners as well. And and the first thing is seek out seek out evidence that disconfirms what you currently believe. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I don't know is disconfirm a word or is it unconfirm? I don't know. (laughs) Makes sense. But the thing is, seek out evidence that kind of challenges it. Like, seek out that evidence. Whereas I think what we tend to do when we have a belief or a value already, and I'm talking about beliefs and values here, is we just try to find more evidence that it's good. For, For example, when I was investing in cryptocurrency, I still do. Not saying that you should, not financial advice. Please do whatever you want. You follow your own philosophies. But I remember when I was investing in cryptocurrency at the start of it, I would always type into YouTube why Bitcoin is the best. <laughs> and, I'd, and I would only consume videos that, that would talk about why Bitcoin was the best. And then, that was the only videos I watched. I would only watch videos. And then the moment... I kid you not, bro. This is absolute truth here from me. The moment I saw a video title that said, you know, why you lose all your money if you invest in Bitcoin. I'm like, no, swipe past that so quickly. It didn't even go near that stuff. Whereas now... I think what's important and I'm I'm trying to upgrade my operating system where I'm going to lay out some of the things that I really believe in and I'm also now going to just be curious and look up information that really challenges those beliefs of mine. And and that's one of the ways so that's step 1 seek out evidence that disconfirms what you currently believe. I think that's a really cool activity. Second thing I think that's really interesting to do as well is really take a moment to think about where did the origin of those beliefs and values come from? Where did they actually come from? Mm. And, and I, I had a few examples we can jam on some after, but I had some that I was like, hang on, that came from my parents. And wait, where did my parents get it from? Probably their parents. Where did their parents get it from? Holy crap. I'm basing some of my values and beliefs on ancient belief systems that existed in Bac province in Vietnam from the early 1900s. Should I still be <laughs> keeping those? So I think it's important to, again, analyze, first of all, the other side of the evidence, the disconfirming evidence, but then also reflect on the origins of your values and your beliefs. Jeez, and then it just third, got me like, I just realized
1: all of my values and beliefs come from the Mighty Ducks and Forrest Gump. <laughs> so
0: that's, not hey, 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 hey. that's not a bad thing. Mighty that's, Ducks is fantastic. I love Goldberg. Absolutely. I've always always related to him because I was really pudgy when I was young. But number three, the third thing that I would do is practice experimentation. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is test out your beliefs and values on real life situations. And and that just kind of helps you see the limiting aspects of your belief potentially. You know, you, you, you take, take the, the belief and go test it out more as opposed to keeping it as an abstract value in your head. Go act out that belief, act out that value a little more and take it for a test drive, stress test it. You know, does it really hold up when you take it and you stress test it? And to me, these three kind of quick tidbits here, quick tips here, I think really helps you unlearn something, because through seeking out evidence that may go against what you believe, that make they that might be enough for you to go, ah, oh, crap! I need to, I need to rethink this. I need to unlearn this. Or, or maybe it's about reflecting the origins, and you go, oh, the origin. Wow, where did this come from? It came from. It came from Jason, who was twelve years old when he told me this. Right, so yeah I thought I thought that was a, a cool little summary to be able to help you rethink because I understand cerebrally the importance of rethinking, but then I needed a little bit more on how can I actually go about rethinking and, and unlearning some of the things that are no longer yeah. serving me yeah, I love that
1: And before we share stories, I think the add-on that probably links to that point is I loved how he speaks about thinking like a scientist and mm. one of the I think one of the diagrams that were drawn is like you know there's nearly a grid where people sit. So people are either preachers, they're prosecutors or they're politicas. Right. And then there's the other concept where a scientist Mm. and it's like a lot of people as use modes of influence that are more like preachy, you know, where it's based on faith or a belief um, or a prosecutor where they'll attack an idea if they don't really like it or it doesn't agree with them. Or then there's politica where you're just using influence and the group and whatever it is to try to... You're, get you're trying kind of to win on. approval. Uh, p- Winning approval. Politicians
0: basically just trying to win approval.
1: Yeah, Winning approval, right? And then, and then there's the scientists, which is what you then mentioned, which is really those three concepts, which is around experimentation, finding an alternative side to the argument um, and breaking that down. And I think when you combine those two concepts, because just for me, I, I remember making a note when I was reading this. I'm like, oh, how often am I being a preacher here am I pro- or mm-hmm. am I listening or being the prosecutor or am I using, you know, just broad-based approval to try to get an outcome versus testing and experimenting and going through more of an empirical process?
0: And I, I think in you saying that as well, I, I need to immediately take back. I, I need to rethink my statement that I just said because you're you're right. Adam Grant actually did give us the the pragmatic tools, and it's really to think as a scientist. You know, I think I think it's it's. It's there. I mean, everything I really said there as well is really about being a scientist, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Adam. Adam says it, it, it's really about forming the hypothesis and yep. then trying to yeah. prove it wrong. I mean, That's how really often cool do one. we do that in our lives, where we go, "Hey, this is a belief of mine. Let's try to prove it wrong. Let's see if it. Let, 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 let's see if it. You know, we can pull it apart." I wrote as a note, bro. What would be really interesting for you and I to do is to take maybe one of our firmly held values and beliefs that mm. we might have. And see if we can kind of jam on that to 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 play to have a playful argument, oh, and, and, and 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 I, I think that'll be fun.
1: Yeah, as yeah. long as it's one of yours, it'll be fun.
0: Because <laughs> 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 I was I was literally about to say, do you have one? Yeah. <laughs> you? that's why I got in earlier. <laughs> let's go, communication expert. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Well, let, let's also frame this. Let's frame this by before we go into this that we're doing this from a place of love. We're doing this from a place of care. We're not just being Uh bullies and mean to each other. We're trying to have, I think Adam says, it's kind of like a, it's a productive argument, you know? And then he talks about how the Wright brothers did it a lot. Uh, The brothers who created the Uh plane at the end of the day, Uh you know, they had lots of arguments. Now those arguments weren't heated by emotion. They were just kind of, they were intellectual arguments that they would have all day. Right. And, and and they never got emotional about it. They just they, they they were able to stay within the realm of logic when they had the arguments. Well and I think and I think he talks about like focusing on the emotional.
1: task rather than like yeah, yeah. it's task conflict, not relationship conflict.
0: Okay. All right. So I'm I'm trying to think if I have one where I can use it as an example. Uh, what's a? do we go with beliefs or do we go with a project? What what, what do we go with here?
1: You created this, this activity. So I'm happy to go with whatever. Like I think beliefs are pretty good, yeah. Just I because they can be longer held, um, or it could be a problem or a
0: solution, maybe. And, and and the problem here is Ali, what if I share this belief and you agree with it? So do we agree that you're just going to essentially play the advocate, the devil's advocate, and try try to push me on that yeah. point? So whatever
1: you say, regardless of whether I believe it or not, I'll try to play the other side for you.
0: Okay. Sure. Sure. All right. I have one. I'm going to go with, it's kind of a belief and it's also actions at the same time. Mm -hmm. A a, a huge part of part of my business prior to the pandemic was in person. And because of the pandemic and things that happened, I've moved a lot of my business online. I'm going to move the majority of my business online. Whereas my business before was hundred percent in person, right? Now it's more 50% online, 50% in person, I'm going to move the needle even more to like 85% online and 15% in person, maybe even 90% online and 10% in person. Mm -hmm. Eat that. (laughs) that.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So then just initially my first question was like, how did you come to that conclusion and why is that a move that you want to make?
0: I came to that conclusion because I I see the opportunity in the creator economy right now. I see the world is moving even more towards an online life, whether it's the metaverse you want to talk about, or I mean, I find most people live on their phones the majority of the time now, even when they're at work, even when they're at in-person events. Where are they spending most of their time? Online on their phone, mm-hmm. right? So to me just looking at overall consumer behavior, wherever people are, whether they're in person or at home, they're living online. So to me, I'm trying to align my business with where people spend the majority of their time. Yep. Awesome.
1: And then the other question probably that comes to mind next is what, when you were doing a lot more in person, what is it that you loved about that experience?
0: Connection. I love feeling a sense of connection with people. I, I I you know I'm part introvert part extrovert. I think I'm both. I think I lean more towards an extrovert, but I'm because of my work I've also become quite introverted as well. To me, it, it fuels me with energy. Uh, it, it makes me feel fulfilled when people come up and say something to me as opposed to a comment online. It's powerful, but it's not as powerful as when someone says something to you directly. The impact you've been able to have on them. So, And this is just me now knowing little
1: bits about you. So say if I know that performance is a really core part of your value, do you think there's a difference in performing when it's online versus being in person?
0: Definitely. Online, I still feel the love from the chat. I mean, last night I I ran a session. I trained hundreds of Microsoft engineers and got lots of love in the chat. However, not the same as when people come up, shake your hand, give you a hug and say it.
1: Mm -hmm. and how important is it when people come up, shake the hand and give you a hug and, yeah, you get that sort of face-to-face connection?
0: I think it's a pretty important fuel source. I think it's something that really keeps me going. Not only does it validate my work, it inspires me to continue my work. It gives me that beautiful kind of human feeling that, that, that I matter, that I'm making a difference. And and definitely when I do things virtually, I don't feel that with intensity. You know, if you scale it from one to ten, in person I feel it like a ten. Uh, online, I maybe feel it at about a seven.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So based and then I just get based on that. Would you still say that? Would you still go a ninety-five five percent or ninety ten percent? Or now that you think about it more, would you then change it a little bit the other way?
0: Hmm. Okay. See, that's interesting. Instead of being nine, I mean, definitely we could dig like deeper write, into this, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> definitely when you said 95%, made me f- it made me feel super uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. And then it made me also feel super uncomfortable at 90%. Whereas before I said 90% with what much more comfort. And then it was making me even reflect 85%. So it, it's making me feel as if 80% seems to be the better number. Mm-hmm. Just from us jamming on that point a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then, then, I think there's also
1: another part of this process, right? Because I actually think your move to this transition is a sound one, yeah. but we haven't gone on the other side, right? Like now playing devil ad, devil's advocate for why the online's better, right? Then it could be questions around well, do you think that you're going to be able to scale your impact a little bit more if you're not tied to then performing, you know, in person at certain events on certain dates? We get to spend Definitely. more time with your family will you be able to release and launch a variety of different offerings Mm. that aren't fixated to you being there all the time, right? So then it can also then strengthen the argument for the other side. And I think this is why having that like mastermind, but I love yeah the vulnerability and openness in sharing an actual live problem. But then say if you had comments set up on this episode Mm. and then there was 10 other questions, it might just add all these other ingredients to it. And you can see the yeah. power of that because there's also a danger in it too. When I was asking you those questions, there was opportunities there where I felt like I could have influenced your decision by directing you in certain ways. So I think that's also just being on the other side as a devil's advocate. It's like mm. finding people that are asking the right questions that don't have motives yeah. behind it too.
0: Right? Well, I think what you just did, finding people who can ask questions on both sides, I, I love, I don't know who said this. I think it was a, uh, an astrophysicist. I can't remember which one it was, but I remember him saying on a podcast, he said, the the measure of the the human being's level of intellect is their ability to hold two opposing thoughts mm. in their head at the same time. Yeah, Right? And I, I never used to think like that. I never thought that was a form of intelligence. I just thought that the people who stick to their guns and go all the way and win the war, that, that they're the most amazing human beings out there. I didn't think that it was important to be able to hold both ideas at the same time and, and let them battle each other. You know, and I think having someone in your challenge network or having someone in your circle that can ask you questions on both sides without a motive to want you to lean more towards one, is very important. Because I think often when we go to people, they already have their preconceived ideas as, as to which path you should take. So even yeah. when you're asking them for an unbiased Kind of yeah, yeah. Piece of advice, piece of bias because they think <laughs> that's the path oh yep. that's a big one that's a big one Ali that is a big wow one. yeah mm. and that's a it's a really cool process to do that live well I think I think the way you can control this more is when you go and you ask people for their thoughts and opinion you can frame it you can say hey you know I can say hey Ali i'm I'm making a really tough decision about whether I should take my business more online or more in person can you challenge me on both sides of it? Sure. Ask for it. Don't just ask yeah. for advice and not be specific about it. Ask the other person, hey, do you mind kind of helping me battle the the, and, the, the and against here? And, and I, I really want you to try really hard not to be biased because you may already think that I should go online. But can you really give the in-person a run for its money as well? Do you mind helping me with this? I'm trying to battle it out in my head. Do you mind giving me a hand? And I think when you frame it like that, now, you go, now you're going to go into a conversation that's going to be really meaningful because then that person understands what you want. Because sometimes people may be biased. And again, they're unconsciously doing it. They're not doing it because they're a bad person. They're just doing it because they want to help. But now you can tell them how they'll be most helpful. Yep, for sure. And, and even when you look at deal-making
1: and negotiation, I reckon mm. this is one of the biggest things that plays a role in being able to create mutually beneficial partnerships and relationships. Let's talk, about, is when let's you talk get,
0: about the negotiation tips. Let's let's get in on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I think when, like, first of all, just finishing off your point there, the more that you can see something from both sides of the coin, I think you have greater clarity of how to actually come to an end agreement. Like even when I've found that I've been in negotiations or deals, when it's really based on there's a strong need or belief that I need a certain outcome to hit our objectives and I'm too attached to that, it generally leads to a lesser quality arrangement because you have to push a little bit harder for your own desires and needs versus finding the collective wins. And that's a really tricky one, especially when there's rare opportunities on how much do you go from leveraging your own gain versus conceding a little bit more for a longer term payoff. right? It's a hard one to explain, but then I think when you then link it back to some of the negotiation tips that this book's this book really shares, it just got me again rethinking and going back to some of those skills because I love I love negotiation and deal making and trying to create value from partnerships. It's one of my favorite things that I've had in my life since I was a kid. And without I think really being a negotiation book, there's actually some real gold within this book around using listening and being, I can't remember the term, but it was something like an introverted listener or an active listener essentially. And using that as, sorry, was it like introverted charisma, which is rather like really based on just the ability to listen, take in all of that information and then be so attentive rather than being the loudest speaker and talker in the room, right? And then being able to distill it and then make that concise and then use that to actually hit the objective of whatever that interaction is. I think the second one was whether it's in a debate or in an argument or in a negotiation, just being really clear on what the common ground is, right? Like once you establish common ground, especially in a combative interaction, it's going to be really hard for that person to argue against you and for you to seem that you're inflexible in your opinions, right? So if you and me were, if I had a really fixed view on whether you should go online with your materials or go public speaking, I would try to find as much common ground to be like, okay, I acknowledge that there's so many benefits in doing the in-person stuff. I also acknowledge that there's so many benefits in doing the online stuff. Do we agree on that? Do we both agree? Mm. Once you nod on that, we've now got common ground. So mm. the ability f- for me to now change your view on that situation also increases a little bit more. Because there's more rapport. <laughs> there's more rapport and you feel mm. like I understand
0: exactly what you're saying as well.
1: Yeah, and, way, and,
0: and I also get a sense that you see things the way I see it. And that's yep. very powerful in negotiation because that means, again, is, is that, that true empathy, right? It's like, oh, you yep. get me. Yeah, you get me. And, right. and once you get people into that mindset of, hey, you get me, now you're on my team. And when you're on my team, I'm going to give you the steering wheel more often, right? I'll be like, oh, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you're like me. Yeah, you're you, you can team. drive. You yeah. have a
1: turn. <laughs> and also acknowledging the other side's value and what they're bringing to the interaction is also really important. So if you can mm. clearly communicate that, And before they get the chance to say it, you're already above, you know, them having to then sell their value. You actually sell their value for them. Again, Mm -hmm. straight away, they're like, oh, wow, we understand each other. You know, you'll generally then hear words like, oh, wow, there's so much alignment here right now because we're seeing it the exact same way. You know, we both understand each other's value. So all these superficial level things that usually come up in negotiations and arguments, they're just gone straight off the bat. It's common ground. We're all on the same page. We're ready to go. Oh, gosh, I love that. What a gold nugget. And then you've got a couple of other elements here where you use language where it feels very freedom, like free, and there's lots of choice within it so that Mm -hmm. you're not trapped inside the box. You know, like it's really like, I think a common thing that you see is people just put conditions in straight away, right? They'll say, look, we're really keen to chat, but we're just not going to chat about these three things. They're completely off the table, right? Or Mm -hmm. we need to do this deal, but you have a week to make a decision on it. Otherwise, mm. it's gone, right? Now, sometimes you do need parameters to get things moving forward. But I think if there's an element of choice and freedom or perceived choice and freedom within that arrangement, um, that also helps in the relationship
0: part of it. Now, this is just high-level concepts, but I think- And, and hey, can I, can I give something pragmatic here as well? Uh, I know you went high-level. Let me give you a, a strategy that is very kind of in the dirt, right? You were in the cloud for a second. Let's jump to the mm-hmm. dirt for a sec. Give something pragmatic. Not only do we just use language that creates freedom, it's been proven. And I spent a day with a hostage negotiator in South Australia and we were just stuck in a room together and I wanted to learn as much as I could from him. And his name's Gary Edwards. And he, he taught me one of the most powerful things you can say at the end of something where you want to be influential is at the end of, let's say, a sales pitch you made someone, right at the end you say, but look, Ali, at the end of the day, the choice is entirely yours. It's up to you whether you want to work with me or not. That is one of the most powerful things you can say at the end. Whereas some people might disagree with that and go, oh no, that means you're losing the sale. But no, no, no. When you throw the choice back onto them and give them freedom, now they want to work with you more, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and by saying things like, you know, at the end of a sales pitch, you can also say, but look, this may not be right for you. Right, Just by giving them that choice back, giving them that control back. Because in a negotiation, people fight for control and they feel like when they don't have control, that's when they get defensive. But when you give the control back to them, gosh, and I've done this on so many deals where where I'm working with massive companies where I just say, hey, but look, at the end of the day, it's up to you, Susan, whether you think this is going to be a good partnership. But I've laid out all the good reasons as to why it's going to be and they're compelling as hell. And at the (laughs) end, you drop that line, boom, freedom, they're in
1: finishes it off. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. It's a pragmatic one for you.
1: (laughs) And and then just wrapping that up, I think it's just, yeah, you know, you use that combination, but always in the back of your mind, having the mindset of what's the maximum value that can be created for everyone in this interaction. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, I always used to think that was a little bit cliche because we're so used to transactional types of negotiations as we're growing up. You know, it's like, you know, it's most negotiations for most people for the majority of their life, they're two dimensional negotiations. It's, I want that car, what's the best price I can get on the car? I want that house, what's the best price I can get on the house? Mm-hmm. i got this job, what's the highest salary that I can negotiate for that? But when you start introducing this concept of 3D negotiation, and I first learnt that, did a course at Harvard Negotiation course maybe five, six years ago, um, and they showcase that concept of 3D negotiation. where And, and it was awesome because you, you go through over a three, four-day period, you go through a series of negotiations And you get to see how the negotiation played out in real life, but then you also get a behind-the-scenes look for the parties that were in the negotiation of where they were willing to go if certain things played out in certain ways. So it's like this is the actual negotiation, what the end result was. This is how big the value prop could actually potentially have been if Mm we're if we a little bit open to some other ideas. And then in groups, you role-play the negotiation based on our understanding. So Mm. it's a pretty cool way of – practicing that skill. And I remember one of the first activities was a two-dimensional negotiation, which was purely on price. And I was like, oh, I'm going to win this. I'm going to go super hard and like get the best deal ever. So I ended up going crazy aggressive. And then they were telling everyone like, what's, you know, what's the price? I ended up getting the highest price out of the group of 30. And I'm like, yes, come on, Ali, i have got this, <laughs> wow. it's so good. And then straight away the guy's like, yep, Ali, you might think that you won, but you actually lost the negotiation because you went too aggressive And then the second part of the story is the person that you negotiated at, once you got over this price, they'd confirmed that they would never ever do a deal with you ever again. Wow. (laughs) And then what you didn't know was that they actually had two other deals that they wanted to do. So all the people that were in this range, you guys actually won because you gave a little and then you know, Susan, the character in the negotiation, actually had three, four other deals that they were going to come back with if you were in that scope because they were comfortable with it but because you actually leveraged it too hard. Um, you only got one crack at that pie, and you you missed out on the rest of it. And I'm like, wow, okay. Ooh. I always thought growing up, how I grew up, it's like, no, it's a it's a street fight. You got to get the best deal you possibly can, <laughs>
0: and that, that, and that that's was the a really big. Having an abundant mindset and having a scarcity mindset, right? Yeah, oh, it's it's, it's well, when when we grew up, we didn't have much, man. So we, we had to negotiate and bargain like crazy. So I think it's. It, It's hard to negotiate with that abundance in mind when you are living a life with scarcity, right?
1: Absolutely. And without even seeing proof of it, like I remember hearing about people saying, oh, it's all about a win-win outcome. And I'm like, yeah, whoever lost this has obviously never won a negotiation because generally the ones I've seen, there's a pretty clear winner and there's a loser. And then then you dig deeper into it and you actually see, oh, wow, there's actually a bigger picture here and it's a long-term game and there's so, so many other bits and pieces that are at play.
0: I got to tell you this as well. I mean, I I've recently uh, we're doing some kitchen renovations and I remember when we were doing negotiations with the builders and people coming in, the painters and everything, and it's fascinating, right? Because I I remember talking to one of the painters once and I said, "Hey, is this the best price you can give me?" Right? <laughs> I tried negotiating and everything, right? And I could see him going, "Oh, and he, and he gave me a a better price." And I and, and in the end I kind of went, "Oh, you know what?" It's not a huge difference. It's like a few hundred bucks off. And I kind of went, you know what? I'm going to pay the original price. And can you, just, can you just pay extra attention to these few areas <laughs> just because it would mean the world to my wife. And he lit up like crazy. And, and sometimes you giving a little more in a negotiation means that they're going to do a better job, right? It's not just about a job being done. It's the quality at which the job will be done. Because in me asking for that discount and then seeing his emotions while he was trying to discount, seeing the pain in the poor guy, like the, oh gosh, yeah, I'm getting screwed over. Yep. Everyone does this to me. It was that kind of body language that I saw. And I kind of went, ah, I've done the wrong thing here. Shouldn't be asking for that. So then I kind of went back to the original and then just asked him to, you know, take more care on these things because we've had painters before who didn't take the best care. So I think an added benefit to creating a win-win situation is that you get better quality.
1: Yep, for sure. And I've seen you do that over and over again over the, throughout the journey. And mm. it's hilarious. When I used to watch you do it at the beginning, I'm like, wow, this guy must get taken for a ride so often <laughs> just because you go in with such a high level of like faith <laughs> and, you know, belief in people doing the right thing. And then I just kept watching you do it and over and over again. I'm like, it's actually working. Like every time that you just front end the generosity a little bit more. You ended up winning even more than the other person did, and I'd never seen it play out like that before. I'm like, oh, I'm like, wow, you bought do, do, a thousand books of this person, and and now it's just winning for him even
0: more. It's on that side. Well, can I just say, do you know why? <laughs> mm. Because I'm not a monster like you are, Lee. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> you got it back. You
1: got it back from the floor. No, I got it back because
0: yeah. I'm not a monster. I just told you like, like you.
1: such a story yeah. of humility where yeah. I went in so aggressive and then opened my mind to being like more open-minded to it. And you still kick me when I'm in the, One time the, you were the open tea house. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, no. Who is this yeah. guy? You're the bloody yeah. monster. Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm able to, I'm slowly exploring the different parts of who I am. I'm starting to explore yeah. the monster within me. <laughs> this is bad influence on my behalf. It's like, don't don't turn yeah. into this person. oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Hey, well, that, that that was great. I mean, thank you so much for sharing those gems. I mean, I, I still find it difficult to believe that you actually went all the way to Harvard and, and studied a bloody negotiation course. It just blows my mind. Yeah, man, How cool is that. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. Was that was a a, what, a, what a what what a what a cool commitment to you upgrading your operating system, right? I mean, something that I was just kind of writing about this morning, and it, I, I did a post. I did a little. Uh, I did a massive shout out for our podcast on my Instagram, and and I did that simply because. I I wanted to share with the world, the reason why we do this podcast again is I really feel like, you know, of course we've got personal reasons, you know, we want to document things for our kids, et cetera. But th- there's a greater vision for it too, in that as we read more, and one of the reasons why it's such a powerful habit is because it helps us update our operating system, right? So as we read this book, Ali, it's updating, the, the vi- it's updating Vin's operating system and it's updating yeah. Ali's operating system. But your commitment to travel all the way to the US, go to book yourself into a Harvard course to learn about negotiating before you started your entrepreneurial business, really. That's so powerful that you committed to that level of um, you know, updating your operating system, that you would go halfway across the world to do that. Uh, I just got to commend you on that. That's amazing. And now for you to share that. Wow, it's beautiful. No, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, yeah, was, so I just had to balance out the meanness before. With yeah, the no, business. that was really
1: kind. It okay, still yeah. felt a little bit shallow just because of how mean yeah. you were before, but I, I, I openly accept your compliment and I put it in
0: <laughs> It doesn't matter. I felt deep on my end. That's all that matters. Yeah, no, uh, no. Yeah. It's not about the receiver. Deep down, you're like, I don't
1: know why he wasted so much money and time going on that course. I've seen him negotiate deals and they're the worst. He's so bad at <laughs> negotiation.
0: Now you're just attacking yourself.
1: Yeah. yeah no,
0: just no, no, no. All right. I, I want to jump onto the next topic. And the next one mm. I really wanted to talk about was the reframe and the rethinking on imposter syndrome mm. and how imposter syndrome could actually help you. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because every time I, I do a keynote and I do Q&A, the question that comes up all the time is people say, hey, Vin, I suffer from imposter syndrome. Uh, do you have any thoughts or ideas on this? And I also used to think imposter syndrome was a bad thing. And then, as I did a bit of rethinking and thought about imposter syndrome more, and because of Adam Grant's view on imposter syndrome, you know, I I just I just changed the voice of imposter syndrome in my head. So imposter syndrome, I just changed the tone of voice because imposter syndrome used to be, "Hey, you're not good enough. Hey, you're not, you know, you're not being productive enough. You're not being effective enough. You're not working hard enough." And it used to be a very aggressive kind of voice that I would hear in my head. Whereas now I've just switched it up to being more of a caring voice where it would say things like, you know, it's just talking about the same topics, but it would just go, hey, are you, are you making the best use of your time right now? You know, Hey, could there, be, could there be more that you're missing out on because you're not doing more in this particular area? Hey, are you, are you sure that you're qualified for that? You know, do you want to just make sure you're qualified before you go out and do that? So just by changing the pitch the tone. of the <laughs> yeah. voice in my head, just by controlling the melody, all of a sudden it went from piece of shit bully to Lenny, my best friend, right? So, so by me just making that shift, I know this sounds ridiculous, but by me making that shift, imposter syndrome now is no longer an enemy that attacks me, but it's a really good friend that backs me up and he's just trying to look out yeah, for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. I love it. Like, are you smiling because it was awesome. deep or is this the dumbest thing I've ever said? <laughs> no.
1: I, I, don't even, I don't know why happening was that right angry now. imposter just coming in at the end of that. He's like, you think I'm dead, but I'm not, buddy. You know, I said <laughs> it in like, a friendly way.
0: I said it in a nice light voice. Like, do you think it's good? I think it's bad? Like, you know, what do you think? You know, I can't lie. No, I, that
1: no, yeah, I think right. that's awesome. I think the reframe of the internal voice is so cool. I've heard yeah, a nice. few people speak about this recently where I think a lot of athletes do this. You know, mm. where if they're out of form and they're not feeling it, then that voice can get pretty loud. You know, right. Oh, we don't deserve to be on the team We're we're going to get cut. We're going to get traded. No one likes us. And, and I think a big part in sports psychology is just that it's, it's reshaping stories well, and it's the, telling the yourself way I'd better stories. That, and-
0: I would I, not to reshape that too. Like, again, just kind of improv here with you. And so, sorry for butting in there, Ali, but it's kind that, of like, Hey, look, I, I, I like, again, this is the athletes imposter yes. syndrome voice. It's like, Hey, just looking out for your brother. Uh <laughs> I know you don't want to get cut from the team. I know you really value being on the team. Hey, let's make sure we keep our training schedule up. That's let's right. make sure we, we stay consistent. You got this, mm. right? Oh, it's just a quick switch, change in the way it sounds and and, and reframe it a bit. And all of a sudden, because I think what, what's what's the alternative to not having imposter syndrome? I'm the best. I have the best golfing business in the world. My name is Ali Tarai. You know, I'm not bold. I just choose to shave my head.
1: <laughs> you, know I mean? like, you
0: know what i mean like lemons
1: man. in a lemonade baby all day it's just like, it's just, i'm so tall it's like,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. those four push-ups i did i'm now looking like a physical beast I should yeah. try out for the olympics I, or something
0: I me, mean, <laughs> that's what happens when you don't have an imposter syndrome <laughs> voice in your head keeping you in check yeah right you just become this yeah. arrogant prick that yeah. nobody likes. So to, to me, yeah. it's just again, that that's why I look at it as being this this little it keeps you humble and you just gotta change the way it talks to you and, and not allow it to be so bloody mean. Right. So so to me, when 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 I do have that mean voice from time to time pop up and it says, you know, you oh bloody hell, you're not good enough. See, I told you your following count is starting to slow down. See, it's just proof that you know you've got nothing valuable to add. It was a lucky streak. So the moment I, I do hear that voice sometimes, I just kind of go, okay, so that's just telling me that I, I need to ensure that I'm still changing up the things I'm doing and not getting too complacent. So then I just, okay, I go, oh, th- thanks for that. And then I reframe that into a more kinder language. And I, I, I literally, dude, I mean, if, if you hung around me all day at my house, you you know this and it's just, then I'll just say it out loud to myself. I just got kind of to talk to myself. and I just say it out loud and just go, Okay, then you just got to change things up a little. That's all. Don't stick to the same formula. Keep ducking and weaving. Keep moving. Keep changing. Keep experimenting.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I really like that. I think that it, it links really nicely, you know, imposter syndrome with the other side of that coin, which is just overconfidence.
0: Mm. Confidence with no humility,
1: right? That's right. You know, you know work, it's confidence it's without that that humility and and or also the tools was another note that I put in there, and I think the book uses an example of how. It's funny when, when we actually haven't tried something, we have a lot more humility within that read that game or whatever it is that we're looking at. Right. So if I haven't been a doctor before right now, I don't think that I can perform a surgery, but say if I go in there and I do two weeks of med school, just as I start developing a slight bit of knowledge, there's a good chance that my overconfidence or anyone's overconfidence will increase disproportionately with what their actual skill set mm-hmm. is because now there's that baseline of knowledge and then you start believing that you're actually better what you are at it. It happens with golf all the time when people start playing the sport of golf. It's like you start off and you go from not really knowing how to do it. So imposter syndrome and that doubt creeps. It's like, oh, golf isn't for me, right? Then you play your first mm. decent round and hit a few good shots. Now, all of a sudden you're like, geez, if I just practice twice a week, I could probably go professional. <laughs> it's like you see the first one. And then it's like, it, I still remember being like 21 after playing my first decent round of golf a month in. And I was sitting there with like a couple of my mates. We'd gone out for a few drinks and we're in the cab on the way back home. And I was telling them about how I was going to become a professional golfer. And like, (laughs) I just played a pretty good round. Like I must have a natural talent here. Like we're good to go. And they were being a really good challenge network and just telling me like, dude, You've just started playing, like, you're not very good. You've never really been all that good at any sport. You know, you're not, you're most people that play professional golf started when they're four. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, nah, like, I'm just going to practice like 40 hours a week until I'm like 35, and I should be able to get there, you know, because uh, like it shows that I had this skill set there. And I think I nearly started crying when they were telling me that I couldn't become a pro golfer in that state. <laughs> like, and one of the guys was like, is that tears in your eyes? And I'm like, no, it's, just, it's not your doubt that's, like, hurting me here a little bit. And they were right. Like, the next morning and I think the next round that I played, I just went back to earth and just played to my normal ability, which was about 15 shots worse. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, it's actually a pretty big difference between where I am right now to being pro. But it's just that, that little bit of, like, belief and that overconfidence that happens. But What's it called? I think it's – sorry? What's that called? The Dunning Kruger effect.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's actually a name that's for it. it.
1: There's a there's a name for it. And I think um I think that's that's a pretty big thing. But it's also I think finding the balance within that because then when I think back to that, the reality is is when you break that example down a little bit more. I didn't have the tools, didn't have the experience, didn't have the expertise. Right. Now, the plan that I actually set out there, maybe if I did go and practice for 40 hours every day for the next 10 years. There's a chance I could have gotten to a pretty good level. Now, still, does that mean that you're going to get become a professional golfer? I don't think so. But mm. I think it's finding that balance between if this is something that I really want to pursue, mm. like what's the reality of my actual ability right now versus the goals that I want to hit and then the toolkit that I currently possess. And I think it's finding that mixture of always elevating your toolkit. And now when I actually look back at some of the things that I am decent at, and there's only two or three of those, Mm. That that's a thread that's actually lasted for maybe twenty, twenty five years up until this point. Where I've actually done the work, it's been a constant theme, consciously, subconsciously. I've I've you know, done the courses on it, I've read the books on it, I've spoken to people about it, I've tried it, I've failed lots, I've reiterated it. And then I think you build up a body of work. Right. And most of us will have these call it, you know, semi superpowers that exist just
0: based on how we've lived our lives. I really think if everyone sat down and reflected upon their life, they'll find the same common thread that whatever they're good at right now, there was a long period of them being consistently practicing, them consistently practicing something. There's just an extended period of time of them doing something that has led to them doing the thing they're doing Mm now. I think that's just, there'll be that consistent thread every time. And sometimes it's hard for people to see this, because they look
1: at the conventional things that are viewed as like a valued skill Mm -hmm. whereas it can be things as simple as i'm i'm super reliable right never late Mm. you know just look after everyone in my life you know like say people have these skills but then they celebrate things like oh i'm a i'm a i'm a great basketball player i'm a great i'm a great musician Uh, i'm a great it's like things with external validation. I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we do our life design retreats, we spend a bit of time on that where we sit down and we do a bit of a matrix and we look for some of these threads that exist in our past where, you know, what are the, what are the movies that inspired us? What are the things that we're passionate about? What's things that we still enjoy that we love doing when we were kids, hmm. right? Like who are, who are our inspirations that we look towards? What are the books that we love reading? And then you start seeing some of these themes and it's like, at the end of it, it's like, you know what? I think for you, it's like, ah, oh, I love performing. I love connecting with people. For me, it's like, oh, I love creating worlds and making deals and positive partnerships and dreaming big. And you find these little threads that sort of exist throughout your story. And it's like the more you can find those and then align what you do with them, I think it's pretty powerful.
0: And that that requires a lot of rethinking. It requires rethinking, rethinking, reflecting, reanalyzing. It requires a lot of that.
1: Just honest reflection and awareness, I think, yeah. too. Well, mm.
0: is- I, I, I love this quote from the psychologist, uh, Elizabeth Crumray, who says, mm. she's got a line where she says, learning requires the humility to realize one has something to learn. <laughs> yeah. No, great. Mm. It's that it, it goes to show the reason why humility is so important is because we have to understand, and and, and I – I really, I've I've always loved the word humility, but I don't think I've loved it as much as I love it now, once I've read this book and have a deeper understanding of humility. Mm. Because now I, I, I'm I'm living now moving forward after having read this book with the sense that everything that I say, everything that I do is not 100% correct. It's just not. I'm going to be updating the knowledge that I currently have. I'm going to be updating the value system. I'm going to update my belief system. And I'm going to adopt humility as a core value, not because you'll make the world think that, oh, that person's so humble. What a good person. And I think I may have used to wanted to be humble because of those reasons for external validation. But now I want humility more for an internal reason because I want to progress in this game. You know, I used to think, oh, humility is good. I'll wear that like a badge of honor. Because when you wear this humble badge, everyone's like, hey, that guy's humble. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm humble. Yes, yes, I am. Right. (laughs) So for me, me now it's become more of an internal thing where I'm thinking more of. I've never seen anyone celebrate humility like that. That's one of the the best (laughs) things I've ever seen. The worst thing you've ever seen. It is the worst. No, no, the best. But again, I think, I think, well, hey, I, I, I got to call this out too. This is not humble at all for me to say this. But <laughs> I, I feel really good about learning how to be more vulnerable and yep. learning how to show the world that, like, again, I'm not perfect, far out, you know? And, and I think the reason why I, I feel compelled to do this more and more, Ali, you know, I'm not as perfect as Ali is, obviously. But to me, the reason why I'm compelled to- just sure forward- kicking me under the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah no <laughs> worries. Anytime. I will throw you under any bus. This is a hostile episode. Anytime. <laughs> this is not- <laughs> uh, it is because How do I defend that? What will the reason why I say this, it's not about you got me right now. Stop it. The, the reason why I feel compelled to share this more and more is because I'm seeing a lot of my followers paint a false perception of who I am, a false picture of who they think I am. I really don't like it.
1: Mm.
0: I, don't, I don't like them painting me as this perfect person. I really don't. <laughs> because I think when they paint me as that, then it creates pressure for me to become that. And I don't want to become that, because I'm not that, and it's impossible to be that. And then that's why I just wanted to share with you from a deep level. that's why I feel prepared mm. to share these things. If, you, if you're noticing in the podcast now I want to share more of these things, it's really because I want to train I want to paint a truer picture. Uh, of who I am, as opposed to a false one. So back to the point of that hu- humility component. Never before have I had such an internal desire for humility for internal reasons. It's kind of like, wow, being humble is actually a powerful scientific method on how you can continually progress in life and win more. You know, and and live better. Winning more meaning live better, be happier. And 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 progress to the next stage of life, as opposed to forever being stuck in you know, level one. You, you get to progress to level two, level three, level four, level five. You know, I think there's there's so many levels to life, and 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 humility is a massive key to allowing ourselves to rethink, move forward, reevaluate, and and play at a better level. Yep. And I think
1: just as one of your friends, i would, I'll validate that. I won't be a challenged network on this, but just seeing you go through your journey, I think you really do practice humility probably stronger than anyone that I do know, you know, especially given how your life and what's involved in your life, I think it would be very easy for you to get stuck into the traps of ego and arrogance and all that. And just from knowing you and seeing you, like I think when you see people behind the scenes, you get a truer indication of who they are. And Mm -hmm. I can very much guarantee that what Vin's saying right now is exactly how he lives his life. And probably the example of that was just recently, like you've obviously had a massive rise. Um, You connected to a lot of people, including Chris Pratt, um, at the moment. And when we, went on our, when we went on our recent retreat, right? It would have been really easy, I think, for you to be like, hey, you know what, Ali? This year we're going to stack the table with all these people that I want to do deals with that I've just brought into my circle that are really interesting. Let's do the session there and then we'll record it and we'll share it and we'll make it all that. But I know for a fact that that thought never crossed your mind. You know, you had the exact same group that we did the session with, who have been like your cousins, your best mates, Craig, you know, like everyone that's been in your life for over 10, 15 years. And you wanted that exact same crew with you over those three, four days. And that's how you went about it. And I think that's just a really cool sign of that groundedness. And I think humility and probably alignment of your values, where there are a lot of these shiny bells and whistles that you could experience on this journey. And I've just seen you consistently, you know, prioritize like the other day you're were, you were doing a delivery for Microsoft. And I'm like, Oh, what's in your, what's in your schedule today? And then there's this item, which is an hour dedicated, which is uh, buy mum spoons. And I knew how legit that was that you would have like, if I'm like, Oh dude, we've got this deal potentially on, do you want to jump on a meeting? I know you would have been <laughs> like, yeah, I can, but after I drop off the spoons and buy them from mum and come back. So I think it's just credit to how you go oh. uh, about it. And, um, yeah one of the one of my favorite things probably about yeah, your approach and what I always learn from you too.
0: Oh thanks man oh, you, you're forgiven you've uh, you've made things beautiful <laughs> again after that terrible <laughs> thing you did to me about thirty two <laughs> minutes ago. <Yeah.
1: laughs> I just bought myself another episode
0: no, you did, you know, <laughs> yeah. still in the show are <laughs> hey. so really, we I, I really appreciate yeah. that, bro. You know, I think
1: that was negotiation. We found some common
0: ground. Common I ground. agreed with
1: it's some of your points. <laughs> gave some compliments yeah get one more episode oh, you know, and, and and thank no. you and
0: I, I think it's it's again I just want to call out the importance of having good people in your circle you know I think it's I'm just every now and then I just I just want to publicly show some affection brother like I I really love you I really appreciate you being a part of my network my circle and someone who's always supportive someone who always you know always ready to to tear me down at a moment's notice I think that's also <laughs> a beautiful quality I think it keeps me humble <laughs> More importantly, Me I'm just Pei when I've got that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just grateful for your friendship, brother. So thank you for saying all those comments. No,
1: man. no a lot of love, a lot mm. of love.
0: Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's my kind of three that I really wanted to bring up. Did Did you have any others? And then I've just got some favourite quotes from the book uh, as well yeah, that I going to share. But well, just on that note, I think
1: is one of the things is having an emotional range to be able to make better decisions and to improve your thinking. Ooh. right like it's just and I wanted to jam on this topic a little bit more because I know you love you probably love emotions more than I do especially on the the outwardly expressed level I think I'm more a student of emotions and I like to I like to keep them more on the inside when possible but there's a beautiful contrast in that because I think I use emotions a lot of times for like analysis right before trying to solve a problem whereas I think you use emotions very openly to actually come to it cool conclusions and to unlock new insights. So when I thought, when I was thinking about like emotional intelligence and intellectual intelligence, I think there's a really big concept here of having emotional range and how we process, communicate and perceive emotions, right? Because if you can only perceive like two or three different emotions, I think you're more likely than potentially to go down the path of like anger or defensiveness or not understanding somebody else's point of view. Whereas if you can process a larger range of emotions, then it might lead to being a little bit more non-judgmental, being a little bit more open to other ideas, you know, not getting offended if a point of view doesn't align with what you believe in. And just expanding that range of emotional knowledge and understanding why people have certain emotions and what they're
0: linked towards. Gosh, I mean, this is such a this is such a big topic that I think if we if we tried to talk about it now, it would do it a really? disservice. Only because I've got a meeting in ten minutes, but I <laughs> I, th- I think in at, at a high level, what I would say is you've got to improve your ability to read situations well. Like if you want to exp- if you want to be able to read more emotions, you need to be able to listen better. Now, if you want to improve your ability to listen to emotions. First of all, realize that when it comes to active listening, you can listen to the content and the words when people speak. But then the second thing you've got to listen to is you've also got to listen to the mood and emotion of the conversation. So if you want to get better at reading emotions from others, first of all, every time you're having a conversation with people, sit there and go, I'm hearing the words, but what's the mood and emotion in this conversation right now? Is it one of excitement? If it, if it is, is it one of the person's kind of holding back? They're feeling scared? Is, is there fear here or, or is there joy here? And start trying to listen out for the emotion underneath the words. And as you start to practice that pragmatically, you'll start to better read the emotion in others better. And then when it comes to you controlling your own emotion, that's really about emotional mastery, right? That's not allowing yourself to react negatively. And for some people, and, and like, again, I've had this chat with Pei Wen and myself many times, there are times where something happens between us as a couple where we both acknowledge that, okay, if I react right now and we're going to keep talking, we're going to say things that we don't mean. So then you pull away. And there are times where we, we used to have to pull away for a day at a time and then talk about it the next day because it took us a whole day to cool down. But as you do that more and more and more and more and more, it allows you to cool down faster up until the point where I, I know people who even while they're talking about something that's highly emotional – Within two to three seconds, they've already cooled down and they can talk about it logically. But that takes practice and time. So I would highly encourage people to firstly, at a foundational level, listen not only to the content and words that are occurring in any given conversation, start locking into the mood and emotion uh, at any given moment and kind of build your sensitivity towards that. That allows you to read emotions better. Second of all, to be able to process emotional emotions better. If you feel something and it's negative, Pull away from that conversation immediately. Give yourself time to cool down. Learn how to control that more before you re-engage. I'll say those two things. I love it. Some really nice practical tips there. And then my final one before I let you
1: wrap up is I just love this concept of having a loose attachment to ideas and knowing that ideas are provisional um and then being able to sort of change your perspective on those you know there's a couple of great quotes there you know where like i strongly i strongly believe in this but i'm also not attached to it or i'm willing to let it go and i think just having that as a bit of a reminder and a prompt with a lot of things
0: that there's another quote that's similar where it's i have very strong beliefs but they're loosely held loosely held that's the one thanks for picking yeah, that yeah. one up i know you're the quote master yes. i was butchering that yeah that's okay. Was- you're terrible at it yeah yeah no. <laughs> I love another one. There's another version of it where it's the only thing I'm married to is my wife. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I love that one. Because it's true, you know, the only thing I'm married to is Pei Wen, whereas a lot of the other thoughts, values and beliefs and ideas, I'm not necessarily married to it. So again, just, I I think it, it also helps me live life with a little more freedom. When I don't feel like I'm, yeah, I, I'm stuck to this, and you'll never be able to take me off this hill, never, ever, ever. ever right? It's just kind of. Oh, I feel like I I live life with a little more ease. Yeah, for you know, sure. It's not as life isn't so serious. It's not as if everything's flexible. You know, it's. And 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 the crazy thing when you think about this and, and you go deep into the weeds is that every single thing in the world has a little bit of wrong and a little bit of right in it. Hmm. If you spend enough time debating it, there's a little bit of wrong in everything. There's a little bit of right in everything. The answer is. B O T H both. both. Mhm. It's a bit of everything. Absolutely. Love it. Any uh any any kind of things you want to close out and round out this episode with Ali? That's it, my friend. You you've got you've got 4 minutes for
1: the end <laughs> the end monologue.
0: <laughs> I I've got one that I want to end with. And right. it's a quote from Ray Dalio who says, mm. "If you don't look back at yourself and think wow, how stupid was I a year ago? Then you must have not learned very much in the last year. And I think think when I think about myself, even a year ago or two years ago, and I think even when you think about yourself in a year or two years ago, the common thing that we always say is, damn, how stupid was I? Damn, how stupid were you? So I'm proud of you. I'm proud of us. I hope that in a year's time, we'll look back on ourselves in 2023. We'll be like, damn. Those guys were super stupid. And that's what I wish for every single one of our listeners out there, (laughs) that when you reflect on you in 2024 and you reflect on you in 2023, I hope you think you were stupid. (laughs) We do it mid-conversation sometimes where it's like, geez,
1: I think half of what you said was really smart. Then half was like the (laughs) dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life.
0: I know, I remember during our retreat, I would say something really brilliant and everyone was like, wow, that was amazing, Vin. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, what about this? And then it would be the dumbest thing I've ever said in the last four years this of my quiet. life. quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you're always so you're oh. lovely. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you were just like, nah, man, that was the dumbest thing you've ever said. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm like,
1: but then was it? It's like, now I've got to rethink that. Ooh, Maybe the dumb thing you now. said hey. was actually the smart thing, and the smart thing that we all thought was great was actually the dumb thing. Now, I get confused now by this book.
0: <laughs> hey, but if, if I could just end on a message as well for this particular episode. Hey, if you've been a listener for a while of the Vin and Ali show, uh, if, if, you, if you can not be bothered and you're listening to this point, uh, please do head over to your favorite podcast platform and uh, give us a rating. You know, maybe even leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And and the reason why I say this is because this helps us uh, move up in the charts potentially, depending on how the algorithm works, which I have no idea about. But I know it does help and it does help us get this show out to more listeners and it allows us to to have a bit more impact out there in the world.
1: Thank and you so much least, for tuning in. we're teasing
0: each other, it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. That thing that Ali just said added no value as always. (laughs) Take care, my friends. We'll see you all again soon. (laughs) Bye for now. (laughs) Uh. Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.